Look up there in the sky. It's a bird. A plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One totally alive Bruce Banner. One totally not a Nazi Steve Rogers. One weekly discussion of comics and nerd culture. I am your host, Robbie Dorman, literature geek and writer. I'm your other host, Eric. He's a good night, professional artist and illustration nerd. And we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You hope for news reviews, slightly antagonistic banter, and much, much more. This is episode 184. Excitement! It might be slightly sleepy banter and much, much more. No, I, no, I refuse. You refuse for me to be sleepy? That's not your decision. You don't get to tell me my experience. Um, hmm. See, maybe if I, I impose myself on you, it will fire you up. You're trying. Fire it up. Fire it up. That was a Mm-mm. crow reference for everyone keeping track at home. A crow reference, really? Yeah. The film. I don't I mean I I don't recognize the comic as a thing, really, in my yeah. life. It's the Yeah, the, the the film was inspired in, in and of itself. Yeah. The, original screenplay that. The well, the I mean, the movie's better than the comic by pretty much every measure. It's, yes, it's it's quite it's quite better. Hey, Hansomites, how you guys doing out there? Excellent? Good. I heard them all say excellent. Maybe I need to change the frequency that I'm listening on. That might be a problem. There you go. What's your frequency, Eric? Oh, I I had it set to Kenneth. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> that's the problem. I don't know what's going on. This is a train wreck. Later on. I don't know what to tell you. I can't, I can't just, I can't be the only witty one. You think we'd be getting, I know, well, that's, I can't, I can't do everything myself. That's why you're you're here. Mm-hmm. I can't do I can't do I can't do the hosting and the mosting alone. <laughs> oh, you never you never fail to make me smile. Mm. Why don't you Why don't you have a picture of a giant cheeseburger? <laughs> oh, a giant cheeseburger. Those are my favorite kinds. Yeah, that's literally my favorite. That's the best kind of cheeseburger. A big kind. Uh, we will be discussing The Nameless City, The Stone Heart by Faith Aaron Hicks later on with special guest Ivy Decker rejoining us. She comes back every year like Santa Claus to mm-hmm. discuss Faith Aaron Hicks comics. That's- and I tell her I tell her what I want for Christmas and she says, why would you tell me that? <laughs> she goes, I, I'm not in charge of that. I can't. I, maybe you get a gift from me. She is an extremely good friend. She has bought me a lot of gifts and I... I'm usually not that. I usually don't buy people presents. Well, you are a Grinch. Mm. It's on your card, your business card. It Guilty. says it says uh, manager slash mm-hmm. Grinch. I am green, and I do like you know. I do lift things with my heart. I mean, your 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 heart is integral to the process. Yeah, I w- I would say like I mean you're not. I mean you're technically correct. You do lift things with your heart. The blood pumps, and then that goes to your muscles, and that mm-hmm. makes them move, and it's important. What's this? Oh, comic books. Comic books is what we're here for today. We can jump in to our first segment. It is time for Weekly Lobbies. Weekly Lobbies is the part of the show where Eric and I will read a selection of this week's books to tell you to buy or do not buy. Um, there is a motion meter, or there can be a motion meter. It goes from one to five if we're feeling mushy about our thoughts 
our first book of the week is Batman number 21, written by Tom King, pencils and inks, Jason Fabok, Brad Anderson on colors, Darren Bennett letters, The Button, part one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the real part one of this was called uh, Watchmen, little comic, you might have heard of it. Yeah, this is, this is, this is more like... Part like fifteen, if you want to count all that stuff they threw in there on mm. rebirth and all that junk. So Watchmen is probably the best comic ever been ever been made. It's at least in the discussion. Yeah, in the running. In the running, I, I think it's safe to say top five, top five best comics ever made. Important, good, great. We spent hours discussing it. Episode one hundred mm. of this very podcast. DC is like, hey, let's have Bat. This is first of a, of a four part crossover. Next week will be Flash, and then Batman again, and then Flash again. Um, what do you 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 were talking about before we started recording about how you can't muster the anger? Yeah, I can't even be mad about this. It's just like, do you know what? Do you know what Watchmen needs? Is it needs like a twenty two page fight scene between Batman and Reverse Flash? That mm-hmm. is exactly what that that book needed yeah i i think if this had no watchman attached to it i would go this is a a good comic it tells the, it i think like it has an yeah. inter- it has an interesting hook to the fight you know like it's yeah batman not trying he not trying to like beat the reverse flash but like just trying to outlast knowing that mm-hmm. the flash is going to show up and there's like a t- you know it's interesting like the the panel layout is interesting i i like the art i it's just it's it's all about the end goal of this is I get I, I I am assuming this is my my belief. My thoughts is that Dr. Manhattan is the guy who kills reverse flash mm-hmm. and Dr. Manhattan is at the root of all of rebirth or well, maybe something. I mean, maybe it was the biblical God, the God, God of Abraham, God of Abraham himself. Mm-hmm. Herself. Yeah, this is a this is actually like a swerve. This is a Bible crossover. It, not as big a DC property as the Bible than Watchmen. I, there's a lot of Catholics out there, buddy. Well, I mean, there's more than Catholics read the Bible, to be fair. Not according to, I don't know. I don't know what to, <laughs> to ask. I was, did, okay, are you, what, what are you, what are your thoughts on this comic book? Are you a buyer well, of this comic? I, I really, no, I, okay. I don't want to, okay. I don't want to support this. Okay. It's one of those things that there are worse things than a Tom King written Batman story, but just on principle, you know, like it doesn't it doesn't matter really if like if a book is reasonably well written, you know, if a book is not terribly dumb, if you actually sit down and read it, if it's still going in the direction of something, this just wrong why, why no why jesus christ just want to roll up a magazine and spank these assholes <laughs> hit him on the nose like a bad dog yeah yeah that's my we are not reading uh uh secret empire came out zero came issue zero jesus christ mm-hmm. along with three other tie-in issues came in i came out this week we're not reading any of them and we'd not be reading any of secret empire i don't I, I for the same kind of reasons I it's it's kind of a general rejection yeah. of Marvel's general attitude. I'm glad, I'm glad that we got to put this in there though. I would well, I at least wanted to touch on it. Do you want to read the rest of this crossover? Oh hell no. Okay. 
I'm, I'm, I'm just, I wanted to get it on the record to see how you, cause you were Civil War two, I think at a, to, up to a certain degree, you were like, yeah, let's keep, let's keep, let's check it out. Let's see what it is. I, I, I only, maybe I was, maybe I was trolling you. Who knows? I, I want to say like issue one, you're like, yeah, this could, it could be interesting. It could yes. be good. And you're like, let's keep going. And then after, I think after several more issues of attrition, you're like, eh, and you didn't, I don't think you cared no. at that point anymore. No, I, it 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 definitely uh, the the light died in my eyes as I kept <laughs> reading those issues. That's for sure. And now here we all are, where I, where every I, comic book company is doing dumb events <laughs> that it's just like God Almighty. I'm, okay. Welcome to Dookie Fest Two. I was I am more so than Secret Empire because I really don't care how that goes like I, I i i'm not there's no there's not a lot of curiosity they're there this i am curious about like what they actually do with this like it will probably bother me regardless of what they do but i am still very curious about it uh, largely because tom king is involved and i think he is a very talented writer and he wrote yeah. you know he wrote the vision which i think is one of the best comic i uh, of all time honestly and i i think that Get put someone on chops of this crossover. Maybe he can salvage it and make it worthwhile, make it interesting. I the difficulty scale on this is about as high as you possibly can go when you're trying to make hey Batman and Watchmen mean something, or what DC and Watchmen mean something. I guess um, I don't know what that means. I don't know like if I would say bye on this. Like I I've been I've caught up on the the Tom King Batman. I think it's good. I like it. Uh, I think it's done. I think the Bane and Batman thing was like the the, the Bat- Bane invasion of of uh, mm-hmm. Gotham ended up pretty good and interesting. Well, I remembered reading and I did not finish it. Um, I, I remembered it being like above average, you it, know, it, the, it, the, just that being like a lot of the Snyder stuff. I felt like was it landed well for a lot of readers, but I thought it was you know dull and i thought that this was a little bit better than that i i think they really i I think those first three arcs of his story really all tie together into a greater thing yeah and i think you'll get get more out of it if you read all of it instead of any whatever random issue and i get that i i'm willing to give tom king the i mean you you know my my love for for the king i this is good but I I'm a mushy buy, I guess. No, no, <laughs> don't, no. no, no, don't do it. Don't you can you don't don't encourage them. I don't think just I, don't, just I don't, don't think don't it do needs it. encouragement. Don't. Everyone on planet Earth is buying this comic anyway, along with Secret I Empire. Know. Both doesn't and, matter what we do; that people still going to buy a million of them. Uh, maybe not buy anything else, but they will buy that. Well, then then be a conscientious objector like I am. Oh right. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Here's my disclaimer. You, you re- I really, I really, I, I can't believe that you would even give a mushy buy to this. I just on the quality of the comic. I think it, this is a good I, issue. I, I think it. Mm. I think it's fun. I like the fight. I like the fight with him in Reverse Flash. I it's think it's okay. <laughs> it's it. Mm. Okay. Mm. I like this issue. I am against the general principle of involving Watchmen in the greater DC universe, but. My opinions don't matter. Which we will discuss later. Uh, <laughs> double do not buy on Batman 21. Despite I am still subscribed to it. I'm going to be reading it anyway. 
<laughs> I have not. I have not canceled myself. So for whatever that means, it's uh, it's a do not buy, but only with peer pressure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I agree with you. It's a, it's terrible. They shouldn't have any yeah. of that stuff in there. Uh, our next you're book. Still, you're what? still encouraging. Why is Comicsology? What are you doing? What is going on here? It's 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 also needs to be whacked with a. <laughs> it's with really a it's really upset at me. Apparently, it's not. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Nick Fury, number one, written by James Robinson, ACO pencils, Hugo Petrus inks, Rochelle Rosenberg colors, Travis Latham on letters. Uh, Nick Fury Jr. This is the 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 the, mm-hmm. the 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 black Nick Fury, son of taking over taking over his father's wrestling legacy. <laughs> yes, exactly. With also with an eye patch, except it's white. Mm-hmm. Ugh, what? This book is dumb as is shit, but like it is a gorgeous bunch of crazy. Okay, I do think I agree with you. Like it is like spectacular mm-hmm. looking. It is also nonsense. It is complete nonsense. Like I have no fucking clue. Like this is. This is the comic that, like, someone wrote when they were, like, on ecstasy or something. I was gonna say, like, it looks like, like a, like a, like a fucking porno from the 70s. It's like, yeah. it's like, wow, and like pinks and greens <laughs> and yellows and a bunch of noises everywhere and just, like, bright lipstick and white eye patches and just the Red Skull's head hanging out in the background. Like, it's not doing anything. It's just there. It's a hologram of the Red Skull for some reason and boats floating in midair. And I don't, yeah. God knows what happening in this chase scene. Like the car is just kind of in different poses. You don't really see, like, I was continually thinking of Black Widow while we were, while I was reading this. I'm like, I was thinking about, there's a, 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 a very similar scene where in the very first issue of Somnian Wade's Black Widow, where she is, ju- she jumps out of the helicarrier and there's a chase sequence with a flying car and how that. How Somni's art tells the story very well in that, that action sequence is very clearly laid out and you get the, like the sheer danger and in, in like of, of the sequence, like of Black Widow, like racing for, against and then with the, that flying car. This has also has a flying car in it and it doesn't really piece together what's happening at any point. Like I'm very, like there's just, Bubbles with the flying car coming out of it, and then there's gunfire at points and a boom that's in bright. Like, oh, they. I guess she exploded at the end. I don't know how. I have no idea, like how this. Like, I'm supposed to. I, I, I really do appreciate the art in this. Like, it looks really neat, but I also have. It doesn't really matter what's happening. It just seems like it's just a. It also. Like, I have no better sense of Nick Fury. I, Nick Fury Jr. might as well as not exist. In like the Marvel universe, I'd have no idea what his personality actually is. I didn't. I and this his personality is black guy. I that's the thing. Like it's just like it's not even like hey we took Samuel L. Jackson and made like we wanted a black Nick Fury, so we made a black Nick Fury in the normal Marvel universe. Instead, it was just like hey, it's a black guy and he's the son of Nick Fury, and now he's a secret agent and he likes his flying car. Question. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you a buy, Eric? <sighs> um, <laughs> that's the noise I think of when I'm trying to decide. Yeah, that's 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 how this that's the that's the feeling that this book makes me feel. It is unusual. I don't think that it's bad, but you just have it's it's like a weird art book or something. Yeah, 
you know? Yeah, I agree. Yes, I think you're right. It's, it, I, I, I think I am a do not buy. I think it, like, look at the preview pages. If you like the, if you could look, if you want to look at 22 pages of that and not, and not care at all about the story, then that this book is for you. I want some story in my comic book and this does not have it. Now the story that, the story that I gleaned from this, Nick Fury goes to a place for whatever reason, does a thing, and then other things happen. Like that's all <laughs> I could glean from what was happening well, that's, here. That's what I got out of it too. That's, yeah, it's not enough for me, honestly. It's not. I mean, I like, I, I like ACO's artwork. I think it's really, really weird and interesting looking. I like that it's a weird experimental thing. I think this singular issue is fine. Maybe I'm a buy with a three on the mush, but I don't think I would continue with this if this is if every issue is this. This is unreadable. Yeah, it's a it's a very beautiful book of art that is also trying to be a Marvel comic about a mm -hmm. character that has no definition, and maybe you should. I, I would prefer that instead of just create like. It, you know the just crazy artscape i mean i i think you could i think you could do a really neat comic book that was nick fury nick fury jr as uh as like the idris elba bond you know yeah. yes i i think like that would be a a, a really amazing comic but, um, and like it is, starts is, off, i don't know what it starts off that way i was like reading the and the like and then it's suddenly like Oh, they're at a casino, and then hey, you don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, I think like the 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 print editions did come with a tablet of ecstasy, so oh, it makes it probably much... makes it a little bit more digestible, Pal palatable. You just at least when you know you don't know what's happening, you also don't know what's happening mm -hmm. with your life. Yeah, you're you're. I mean, you're, you're just rubbing on the comic on the page, and you're like, it yeah, I was the... gonna say, you just sit and rub your nipples. Uh, that's a split decision on Nick Fury number one, Mushmeter three. Mm -hmm. Next up, Royals number two, written by Al Ewing, art John Boy Myers and Th Tony or Thony. I, I imagine that's Tony, right? That's not. Is it Thony? I don't know. Thony Silas, Tony Silas, one of the two. Uh, colors Ryan Kinnard and Jim Charlampitis? Pitis, one of the two. Also, Clayton Cowles on letters. Hey, Royals. Uh, I think John Boy does a, like two pages of this thing, yeah. and the rest is the other artist. Uh, Another pet peeve. Uh, also, hey, spoilers. Five, four, three, two, one. Uh, Max Maximus is Black Bolt on this, which mm -hmm. makes sense because Black Bolt is having his own solo comic coming out very soon, and it would make no sense that there's the, he'd be in two places at once. Although has not stopped Marvel before. You said that sounds like comics. I was gonna say, but uh, I where 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 are you? Where what's no okay? This, this, no, I was gonna say I no yeah. I really want to like this, Eric. I want a good, like, I, can I just have this entire first couple pages of that comic where it's just a weird future and there's one last in human and it's like weird as hell and it's just like meta barons kind of. Mm -hmm. Can we just do that? I want that. No. You think that, you think that future also exists in the weird X-Men future where Beast is like a supervillain? Who knows? And there's Probably. like millions of night crawlers. Yeah, I yeah, it's one of the weird other. I don't know if those. I don't think those places exist anymore. I think they all got killed in Secret Wars. At the end. Let's hope so. 
Yeah, I don't know. I that's what I want. I want the book to be that. Like I want it to be weird and obscure and like I the kid like throwing the gravity force of Pluto at a bunch of enemies is cool. Mm-hmm. But that is a page of this, and the rest is forgettable. Yeah, it's it it's 2017, and people are still trying to artificially put video game references in non-video game media. Yes, doing it. In it's really, like Space Invaders. Like, mm. Yeah, Space Ready Invaders Two. Space mm. Space Invaders was in the late 70s. If we're Marvel sliding timescale, these people were not born until the 90s. They would not use the word Space Invaders. You could just say it's like a video game, or you could use a better analogy that doesn't sound as dumb. And I don't like the shift. I don't like the artist change. I it's. We've been no. It's it's it, it's good if you like things that are bad. It it feels very much like another artist trying to ape a different artist style, and I wish that they would just have. I don't know if that is there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. It's. I don't. I want to like it. Maybe that Black Bolt book would be the book for me because it has Christian Ward, who's a crazy weird artist. Maybe that will be the book that is weird and obscure and strange. Who knows? I'm not a buy on this. I may read three on my own and hope against hope that it somehow pulls out of a tailspin, but I'm a do not buy on this. Yeah, I can't. I can't, by any stretch of the imagination, recommend this to any person alive. Double do not buy on Royals, number two. Next up is Redneck, number one. Uh, created by Donny Cates and Lissandro Astherin, writer Donny Cates, art Lissandro Astherin, colors D. Caniff, letters Joe Sabino. Uh, another Donny Cates book set in Texas mm-hmm. with weird supernatural stuff in it, except this time it's vampires. I like this. I like it too. I don't think it's as good as um other Don Cates offerings, and maybe this is my own personal whatever, just because I don't really like vampires. vampire stories. Yeah, it's- and this is th- it's it's fine, you know. I I def it's palatable. I enjoy reading it. I'm I'm interested in what happens. Maybe a couple of issues into this, and I'm really really engaged. But I feel like everything else he's done has grabbed me more than this. So it is the best of a writer uh, creator who has done a lot of really fun exemplary work. So I don't know. Take that for what you will. It's. Uh, it's certainly not bad. It's certainly it's certainly Donny Cates. I I like it. I I like I again. I too like you know. It's the whole like hey, it's a it's a ninja. It's a vampire. It's a zombie. Like any mm-hmm. time, like hey, stories involving those kinds of yeah tropes. Those, you those use tropes. You're just like hmm. But I think this has in like one. It's pretty savage. About what it, like, it doesn't try and make it Twilight, it doesn't try and, like, it not, it's not interview the vampire, like, hey, we're like, oh, proper vampires, we have a, it's not Vampire the Masquerade, it's not like, hey, we have a hierarchy, and we must have mm-hmm. a committee, a vampire committee, it is more like, hey, no, these it is like a bunch of rednecks who have just lived in Texas forever, and are vampires as well, and, you know, there's there's a lot that goes on like it's this is issue is pretty dense it does set up a lot of different threads that i i like it has mm-hmm. a mind like one of the vampires is a mind reader hmm? all right i'll t- whatever it's a va- vampires it doesn't there's no rules um i'm i'm like i like guide country more but i think 
I, I don't I like know. I, God Country considerably more. But I do, I still like this. I, I think I will still probably buy it. I'll pro- like in collections. You know, yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's, I mean, Donnie's not really written anything bad. Everything that he's written has got some value to reading it. Um, some of like his best work is true excellence. This is kind of a baseline comic book for a guy who has quickly become pretty top tier for an independent creator. I'm a buy straight up. Yeah, I think I'll I, I can throw that in as well. I don't, I, there's no real mush here. I'm just I'm not excited, and I probably would personally drop off and eventually read the trade on this so i'm 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 a i'm a maybe 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 one just to just to show my hesitance one on the mush meter okay so double by redneck number one of mush meter of 0.5 next up is the shaolin cowboy who will stop the rain number one Story art cover Jeff Darrow, colors Dave Stewart, letters Nate Picos of Blambot. Some Jeff Darrow for you. Specifically for me. It's for you. No, I I support this. I don't. I, Eric, can I tell you something? What do you what? I don't I don't like this comic book. Really? Yeah. I don't, That's I, weird. I don't like it. I I mean I definitely his art is always spectacular. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not I don't but and I don't really have a history of Shaolin Cowboy, which is probably the I, other part of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I have literally read everything up to this point. Okay, well, that that but, I might mean, explain like, something. You really, you really don't need to understand anything because even if you read everything, it still makes no sense. Okay, all right, that's. I was gonna add, like you're more experienced with this. I was gonna ask if mm-hmm. it makes much of a difference if I've read no other Shaolin Cowboy. Right, you don't really read Jeff Darrow stuff. You just sort of experience it. Like, I think that the difference in his comics and his illustrations is nothing. <laughs> All right. All like, right. I like I don't really even... I don't understand why there's word bubbles on this. <laughs> like, it, it, it... I think it could serve to make it a little bit crazier, and it kind of does. But it mostly just makes it... It, it 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 makes it like too weird almost. I don't know. Like, what is it about it that you don't like? Like, I'm I'm in, I'm kind of interested in that. I think what really bothers me is the mm-hmm. constant ref- references to like iPhones and the internet mm-hmm. and websites with Jeff Darrow's an old man. What I, are you going to do? I know. I understand. I'm just saying it's a lot of it is in there, and yeah. it's a lot of it like. Obviously, they're talking about iPhones, but they just don't say iPhones. They he uses yeah. a a weird like pun, uh, not good. Uh, well, I mean, you want to? We can argue about the levels of quality and puns, but uh, not good replacement words for various parts of technology. Mm-hmm. And if it did it once or twice, I'd I'd probably forget about it. But it it it, it does it a lot, and I'm not really given a reason to care about this Shaolin cowboy other than he can make himself not dead. Like I, like he's, I think the only thing selling me that I should be what, like care about what's happening to him is that he is mm-hmm. a badass. The, uh, well, that's really, that's, I mean, it's not Shaolin cowboy. They've been doing this for, he's been doing this, I should say for 10 years, 15 years. Mm-hmm. 
you know, maybe, maybe, maybe even a little longer than that. I don't know. Um, but like the whole thing was just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to draw this weird little guy and he's just going to murder people. (laughs) I mean, but that's like every Jeff Darrow comic, like it's indistinguishable from, um, hard boiled, you know, where it was like weird robot guy who's going to murder a giant crowd of people and a weird, a bunch of weird shit's going to happen. Like it, there's no point in reading this. <laughs> I read, I read every word in here Yep. and I don't care. Like there's no point in reading it. There's a lot of point at looking at the artwork and thinking Jeff Darrow is fucking crazy. Like, why did he draw like dogs with knives for feet? You know, why does this woman have a crab on her head? I, why is the crab drinking beer? I, that's, uh, I had, yes, those questions, all of them along. Yes, you know, I was, it, it's just like, why is this guy driving and jerking off to hentai? <sighs> it's so, God, Jeff Darrow is just so weird. And that's the whole draw. Okay. Are you a boss? It's just, y- yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right. Yes, I am. Okay. But, like, these books are not that you don't buy them to read them. <laughs> if you if you're reading this, you're you are losing out. It's to is just, there going to be an edition that just has no speech in it, no no dialogue, I, no bubbles? I think, I think that would be a much better edition. We can just look you at know? the art unobscured. I think a straight up black and white, uh, black and white, no. No word bubbles edition of this would be fabulous. Be exactly what needed to be done. Okay. Well, I, I'm I'm a do not buy. I I I I like Jeff Darrow's art. I I can't. I regret that you don't like it. I don't like this comic. I like That's his. Okay. I like his art. I don't like this comic enough to make it again. The Nick Fury thing. I'm. I, I, I go, this looks very nice, but I, there's mm-hmm. nothing happening. It's just a bunch of random yeah. stuff, including, I, including I, crabs I drinking beer. That's who, that's who he is. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I, 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 I imagine all the Jeff Darrow fans already have bought this comic. They are probably chomping on the, chomping at the bit. Hey, another Jeff Darrow mm-hmm. comic. This uh. thing I've been waiting for for 12 years. <laughs> So that's a split decision on Shaolin Cowboy. Who will stop the rain, number one? That title, dear God. Who will stop eh, the rain? I I mean, I'm going to let Jeff Darrow be Jeff Darrow. Okay, I mean, that's fair. He, that, he, that he fair. makes me happy. Our last book of the week, a bonus book of the week, is World Reader, number one, written by Jeff Loveness. John Wando on art. Rachel Deering on colors, Wando cover, John J. Hill logo with Charles Pritchett on production. This is a, it, this book's interesting. Yeah, it is. I kind of feel like we're not getting quite enough, but it still is pretty good and pretty interesting. And it's really neat looking. Yeah. Kind of, kind of in the same vein as uh, Black Science or. Oh, maybe low, something like that. Ex- explorers in a weird yeah. place, like in like it is dealing with. This is uh, I don't I I, uh, I I I don't know. It's 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 taking a different tact on that kind of space explorer thing, where it's instead of just straight up, hey, we're going to other planets. It's like no, everything. It reminds me of actually of 
the Jason Aaron God Butcher stuff with, you know, like it's not everything's dead and it's like a mystery of like trying to uncover what has just killed all this, all the societies, all these cultures kind of thing across space. And, mm. you know, it's it, it has a lot of, you know, pulp adventure stuff in there, but also a, like kind of, you know, weird fantasy and supernatural stuff as well. Uh, and like that strange, like those strange mix of genres is always is interesting. I think black science is appropriate. I think that's another kind of yeah weird explorer thing. And I, I, I think that black science cuts to the quick a little bit faster. This is a little bit slower kind of thing, but it does intrigue me. I am very curious. Like it is inherently kind of intriguing to me what is going on. I want to, I want to know it, it, it's gotten me hooked. Even though I think it is a little light on story, I think there is a little bit. I don't know. I think it le- I think it's a little bit light because it it leaves room for the artist to do their thing, and it looks really interesting. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Fraser Irving, a little bit. Mm, I get that. Which I I really like Fraser Irving, and I really like this. Uh, I'm a I'm a buy. I I think it's it's a pretty book, and it has a very interesting premise. Uh, you know, I, I, I can deal with the little, the light on the, the kind of atmospheric moody, not a bunch of story in this. Yeah. It's a bunch of weird, neat shit. You know, uh, Southern Cross, cause of the, the space and horror thing, it also makes me think of. Yeah. There's a thing that I haven't thought of in forever. We should probably look back at that at some point. Yeah, we should. It's, it's, it's like Becky Cloonan knows how to make stuff that looks good. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a buy. Yeah. Me too. That's it. Bye-bye, World Reader number one. We can move on to our next segment. It is time for Checking In. Checking In is the part of the show. Eric and I talk about what we've been up to during the week. Uh, interesting things we've run across, things we've played, scenes we've watched, whatever we want to talk about. What do you want to talk about, Eric? How about we shut the fuck up, Marvel? Okay. I, I, just, I just don't know when you... I have. Did you... Did I get a chance to read it? Read this thing? Essay? Uh, okay. I, it's very, yeah, but, but, very but long. In, uh, it, what is it written in? It's a twine. It's a twine. Yeah, it's written in fucking twine. What the hell? I actually really like the presentation of it. It really was. I imagine it's good, but that's a super weird thing. It is a weird thing. I think that's, I'm not, this isn't, I don't think this is necessarily meant to re- reach like far, like, I, so. It's a think piece about the comics industry. I'd say that like yes. it was essentially intended for you and me, and that's it. <laughs> there's a, apparently there's been two thousand downloads in the past few days. So it's some that's people. Interesting. Uh, yeah, this is. Uh, it just randomly came across my Twitter feed. Like I did not seek this out. Just a random retweet from another person. I'm like, hmm, something called "Shut the fuck up, Marvel." Okay. I'm, that's I I am intrigued, especially like earlier that very day I had been like just randomly uh, uh, angry again at Marvel again, and I was tweeting about it, just angry uh, for stupid Secret Empire reasons. And uh, so there's a, a guy on Twitter called Colin Colin Space Twinks. Mm-hmm. I'm um, familiar. Follow yes. him on the Twitter. Yeah, uh, at Space Twinks. He he makes he mostly makes Twine games. He mostly designs. Twine games. Twine is a video game, a text-based video game. And I, you call them video games, but you know, there's text adventures. I, you know, kind I believe of. we discussed it on this very uh, this very podcast yes. at some point. Yeah, yes. some some long time ago when I was probably when I was talking about uh, Twitter bots and the like. 
Twine is a cool thing. I, I think Twine is interesting. I think it's it you know it's like free and you can anyone could basically make a text a text yeah. based adven- uh, adventure game, video game, choice based game. It, it's interesting, and he's primarily done that. This is also a pay what you want essay. I guess thirty thousand words, uh, and I think it's it's very. I think this is a good version, a way to give it to people because it splits it up into individual pages and makes every chunk of data a little bit more in, easy to read. And it has bookmarking and all that kind of you know ease of use kind of stuff in it. I mean, and you can open it up on an HTML, like it opens up as a web page after you get download it. So it's not like it, it's like it doesn't. You don't need Twine to read it. Um, that's the whole beauty of Twine. You can, you know, host basically host things in a HTML. It is titled "Shut the Fuck Up, Marvel." I will try and remember to link this in our show notes. And it is exhaustive detail about how how badly Marvel is fucking up about mm-hmm. with in the in various ways in their business. This and this is largely a business based critique. This is not critique of their di- views on diversity. Or any of that like stuff inside of comics. It is not a critique of what a comic book is about. It is a critique about how they do business, and that is why I really find it fascinating because it is easy to critique the views of what is inside a comic book. It is a lot harder to dig in to their business models and why they are failing, and to do it in such good detail. Uh, it is the main gist of it. it go, there's a lot of things. Like one, they f- completely fail at marketing. They're terrible at marketing. That is one thing it does establish. I mean, they are terrible at marketing. They market to people who already read comic books. They market to their captive audience, and they're not going to ever going to grow their like it, all the growth in comic book fans is because of creators reaching out and doing mm-hmm. the legwork and and doing the 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 dirty work. Like there's that extensive bit about how Kelly Sue DeConnick when she started writing Captain Marvel. How exhaustively hard she worked to explain to people how pre-orders work and how that is basically the only re- only way that uh, Marvel or DC will really pay attention and c- continue putting out a book is if pre-orders people continue to pre-order the book prior to it coming out using you know Diamond the antiquated <laughs> system that comic books yeah. somehow monopolistic and antiquated system that comic books are still tied to for some strange god awful reason. A lot of detail about that, uh, and a detail about, uh, like, and about how only people, honestly, only the people who pre-order comics matter for the most part. Like, if you buy digitally, I'm, they look at those numbers, but a book will get canceled at issue four. You know, they, they, you know, they cancel books months ahead of how well they actually think, like, they canceled Mockingbird way long, way before it started selling like gangbusters in trade. Like, and it's, it's all retroactive. Like they're looking so further ahead. People who buy, who literally eat people who buy off the rack at a comic book store, they don't bother pre-ordering. They just go, Hey, I'm going to go on a, on a Wednesday or Thursday or the weekend and I'm going to buy, you know, four or five comics, whatever catches my fancy off the rack. They don't matter. People buy digitally don't matter. People buy trades don't matter. Like those, those, those in, they don't matter because their sales do not necessarily really impact the, 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 a book continuing. Because of how the pre-order system works and, you know, how inane that is and how insane that is. And he also goes into links to talking about how the video game industry is basically like every person who is a critic or part of uh, journalism in video games has always said, don't pre-order video games. Why would you do that? It's a, the stupidest thing. But yet comic books, the only way you can actually make a comic book, help a comic book survive is by pre-ordering it. 
through a completely crazy system of filling out fucking paper forms and submitting it to your comic books, your comic book store, which you may not even have one in driving distance of you. Large portions of people on in on Earth do not have comic book stores close, and they may love comic books. They just don't happen to live close to one for whatever reason. So marketing, the ordering system, but the thing I was most interested by, the thing that I that challenged my assumptions about how comic book sales work and how well comic book sells, how well comic book, how well comic books sell, is relaunches, number ones volume, retitles, whatever. And he uses a lot of sales data pulled from the last 20 years, as long as it's been collected on Comicron.com, collected the sales data. And the popular assumption, I think, that a lot of people have, I certainly did, is that you want to, you know, collect your comic book volumes in shorter, you know, we were used to 40 years of comic books and things being in the 600s, the 700s, 800s, as the years go by, you know, Detective Comics 650 or whatever you, you could read back in the 90s. And then they started relaunching things, both companies, both Marvel and DC. This is directed more, late, more at Marvel than DC, even though he, he does go and point out that DC is just as guilty because Marvel has had terrible, calamitous PR disasters in the past month. So that's why he focused on that. That every time you relaunch a book, your ceiling for sales is going to go down every time. And I, it took, like, I was like, but it would, wouldn't it be easier for a reader to jump on board a new number one? You think that. I think that is a popular conception. It's like new number, and you're, they're not, you're not entirely wrong if you think that, I think. I think new number ones do attract a lot of attention. We certainly read a fuck ton of new number ones. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. There's four this week. Yep. But only, n- none of them are new proper, uh, none of them are old properties. All of them are launching technically new properties, even though they all have existing the, the the Marvel book in particular has an existing property, uh, but the 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 essay what it really lays out is by by relaunching your comic you're giving the people who are already buying it you're gonna you every time you do that and the, the let's say let's say someone does go through that pre order system they they look at previews magazine they they look three months in advance and they they fill out a goddamn paper form and give it to their comic book store person. They're subscribed to a certain book that that book runs 20 issues, say, or 30. Like it's relatively successful uh, by Marvel standards. And then that then it ends maybe to uh, signal a different take on the character, new creators, whatever. You're at that point, you're introducing a lot of variables that could potentially stop that person from reading that comic book. One, they simply don't realize that a new one is starting, which considering how bad Marvel marketing is. It's quite possible, unless you're paying very close attention, like a maniac. Hell, I pay very close attention. You pay very close attention. I still fucking lose that track of what's new. I'm like, holy shit, they started a new... Hey, there's another Batman comic now. I'm like, really? I didn't... I I missed it. Or there's a... Hey, they're they're changing up the Wolverine. Now there's another Wolverine, but it's not the one... It's not Old Man Logan. It's just Logan, but it's also... Like, I... It's... You... There's... Marvel and DC together put out a hundred books a month. It's easy to lose track. And every time you relaunch a book, it makes it easier, easier to lose track Two people who maybe were getting a little bit tired of that comic. And they're like, well, my subscription lapsed. I don't, if I don't do anything, I automatically don't go to the next. I don't find the next comic does not just immediately subscribe itself. So I don't read it. Three, 
how often do they change the name of something? <laughs> Even though it is the same, the same characters or like Mighty Avengers is, a, is an example that he uses in an essay, but there's God, so many fucking examples I can think of off the top of my head where theoretically those people are like the same characters are in the book, but oh, well, let's call it USA Avengers instead, which is literally what happened most recently. And before, and like he goes over like a run of six comics that are technically basically the same characters are in them, but it changes names multiple times ca- called Avengers, called something else Avengers, called, called USA Avengers, called Mighty, like it just changes names every time. And say you're a, a person who you happen just by tw- some kind of weird whims of fate, you manage to pluck one of these s- somewhat more obscure books out of the ether and say, I like this book. I'm going to subscribe to it using the, 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 the method that Marvel cares about using the pre-ordering system. And then they cancel it after 12 issues or end it after 12 issues and naturally or not. And then they launch a new one, but the title is different. And how many, the, the, all those reasons I just, he goes into much greater depth. Uh, all those reasons, any one of them could stop you from moving on to the next comic, even if you want it. And that's not even like talking about price, which he also goes in exhaustive detail about how much fucking money you would have to spend to follow. Like he just goes, okay, what if you're an X-Man fan? He talked about this past December. He's like, what if you're an X-Man fan? That's all you want to care about. You don't want to read anything else. You just want to read about your X-Men. And if you want to read everything that has X-Men directly involved, like, and say you have 20 bucks for the month to read, to buy comics or 30 bucks or 40, like, it, it's an it, insanely huge amount of money if you just want to follow a small group, a small, like, the X-Men should, like, he went back to, like, the 90, like, the mid-90s and looked at X-Men comics, and he's like, well, there were four X-Men comics, and that was it. If you wanted to read those X-Men comics, you bought four comics, and they, all they concerned themselves with were the X-Men. There were no, they didn't have crossovers, they didn't have, there was, it was just the X-Men, and he looked at, and, like, you break down the sales numbers, and it's hard, like, he gives plenty of evidence about how sales continually just go down and down and down. And, like, when you present numbers about how comic sales in the 2000s were so much better than they are now, comics in the 2000s, like, were the pits. Like, it had the same level of quality overall as the 90s, except it didn't have people, uh, like, crazy about them anymore. So it was, like... The sales were down and the comics were bad. It's not even the 90s where comics were necessarily not great. But sales were really high, so who cares? You know, it, 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 st- speaking strictly in a business sense. Like, you it, 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 you look at just the X-Men comics coming out last month and it just – it is a scattershot of mess. It means – it's and like I kind of knew a lot of this stuff, but looking at it presented in such a clear, straightforward – like – way it really opened my eyes and realized like holy shit like we talked about this a few weeks ago with that pr disaster like marvel has no fucking clue what they're doing marvel has no fucking clue what they're doing and then they continue to proceed to blame us for not spending goddamn money on it when i guess what eric nova got canceled nova was a that's, good that's good no nova was a good comic book i bought every yes, issue it was. but every issue got canceled Mockingbird, he points that out. He's like, when all that, all, when Chelsea Kane was getting harassed on the internet because of a goddamn comic book cover, 
the people who were trying to defend her just said, oh, guess spend money on her comic books. Mockingbird was already fucking canceled by the time that shit was happening. It doesn't make a goddamn bit of difference if we spend money on her comic. It's already canceled. It's not coming back. And that's always the answer. It's like, oh, just throw your money at it. No, it doesn't fucking matter because my sales don't matter. I don't matter. I buy everything, everything digitally. My sales do not matter. The only reason that certain comics like Miss Marvel certainly does very well digitally, but it would not even last long enough to matter if they hadn't, if G. Willow Wilson and all the other comic creators hadn't fucking like, here, here's how you make this comic book survive. Here, I'm going to use my extra time and labor. Instead of writing comic books, I'm going to be a marketing. I'm going to be a marketer for your goddamn company because you can't do it. It's just, it's crazy. It is absolutely insane. It, it's it's stunning that I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's that you're describing it this way because like what? There's already next to no reason for these people to write for Marvel anyway. It's not like they pay them extraordinarily well. No. Like why shouldn't they just be doing? creator own stuff if they're going to be doing all this promotion anyway yes what is the value i mean it's just the prestige and just the prestige of doing a book that you can have spider-man or lockjaw do a guest spot in Mm -hmm. it's it's grotesque and the 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 whole numbering thing like i think it's a this is a thing he didn't bring up but it, it immediately came to mind for me and he he briefly did talk about you know how much competition there is in the market and like for people's money like everyone is fucking poor no one has enough like nearly enough money to buy everything they want to entertain themselves with why the hell would someone buy a five dollar comic book when they can spend that same money on so many other places and the with that competition like i like he he talked about manga he talked about one piece Mm -hmm. and how one piece has like something like a so many volumes. 180? Is that right? Is that sound right? No. Okay, uh, how many? That that seems impossible, but it's it a, is It's a lot. He talked about how One Piece has like over 100. I know that. It's over 100 volumes at by this point, I think. It is it is 10 to 15 years or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And like, he, sep- like I would say like 17 or 18 years cuz I think the first one was in 1999. 84 volumes. Okay. I'm, I, I think he was talking about the individual chapters, not the, cause you buy them in like three, vo- three pieces, like they're in three to a volume. I think he was talking about the individual chapters of it. Cause I remember it was over a hundred. So, but he was, you know, like you just said, o- almost 20 years of comics, like, and all those, like, that's a lot of comics to catch up on. But over that 20 years, you'd think sales would drop off, right? Because people would get tired. But instead, One Piece has never sold better than it is now. And it has been growing like that for a long time. And it's continuity is there. I think people are more palatable to, like, hey, everything I need to know about One Piece is in One Piece. I just have to start at the beginning. It'll take me a, forever to read it, but it's all there. I don't have to go other, I don't have to read one, some One Piece spinoff to get the whole story. And I think it's more palatable now because people are kind of more comfortable with binge watching things and then just taking like hey i'm just gonna digest the i'm gonna watch entirety breaking bad this weekend i'm gonna watch the entire it thing it took like seven years to make i'm gonna watch it in a weekend and like i think that nowadays people are more comfortable just like hey i can start at the beginning and go all the way through it it may take a while it may cost some money but if i'm patient i can read all of it now 
like comic books, it seems like after reading, it's, it's just things are getting more and more complicated and harder and harder. Like the renumbering and the relaunching of volumes is actually the opposite of what people should be doing. And like, I think, I don't know, DC seems to be getting, I don't know, going back to the normal numbering for action comics and detective comics. I don't know if that's like them trying to go like, oh, maybe we should just do that. Uh, I don't know if they're going to continue that after issue a thousand, which seems to be obviously what they're building towards. I don't know. I, everyone, you, if it's a 30, it's 30,000 words. It's a very long thing. I was engrossed by it. Uh, I paid five bucks for it. it you can download it for free if you want. Uh, but I felt like that it is, it is a, it's very well laid out. It really does, it convinced me. And Jesus Christ, Marvel Comics, shut the fuck up. Not, not to mention all the shitty Secret Empire stuff that's come out this week. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Making people dress up like Hydra. That's what they want comic book stores to dress up like mm-hmm. Hydra. It's fucking crazy. Hey, you know this, this very thinly veiled Nazi analog we've been using for 50 years? Yep. Dress up like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Market, again, market for us. And that, and because of that, now I've seen multiple comic book stores like, we're not hand selling Marvel anymore. We're not going to do the, we're not going to be marketing. You're, you try and make us dress up like fucking Nazis to sell your comic book. Fuck you. Shut the fuck up, Marvel. I'm a little bit, I a little bit uh, perturbed, Eric. You know what I mean? I'm a little fired up now. A little bit. You want to? You want to? You want to fight? No, I don't. I don't want to fight. I don't want. I want things to be good. That's the thing. I love. I love Marvel comics. No, that's how you get your. Uh, it's Fight Club. That's how you get your aggression out. That's a different comic book. Now you just write think pieces. I know. Got to go to my Medium account. Uh, I do want to. I will talk briefly about a video game. How about that? Is that okay? Do we? You you're gonna make it? I, I I'll make it. I'll make whatever you want, baby. Ooh, uh, it is is the worst title video game of all time. It is called Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Uh, there have been worse titles. Okay, than that, it's the it's a very generic title. I guess is what the real criticism is. Player Unknown is a modder. And he's going for like, hey, it's Sid Meier's civilization type of thing. And I don't, he does not, unless you were following those mod scenes, you're not going to know who the hell know who Player Unknown is. But Battlegrounds, uh, you, have you, you've seen Battle Royale, right? The movie? Mm-hmm. Japanese school children fighting on oh, an island. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but I am familiar. Hunger Games based on it, basically. It's a, not, yeah. it's Hunger Games as well. Uh, it, it is, and there's other, there have been mods, like, in popular games that have done this, this concept, like, uh, you know, an Arma and Daisy, like, all those kinds of survival games where you're, like, dr- dropped into, like, this weird place and you have to scrounge for items and craft guns and all, and bows and arrows and all that stuff. They, people have done mods like this, and he is, he's one of them. He's the one, he's the guy who's developed mods similar in those pre-existing games. This game is a standalone game. Uh, and it is that concept. You are, you start off in an airplane, a giant cargo airplane with 90, with 99 other people and you fly over a map. The map is the same in every game, but it's a gigantic map. You will not see all of it. I play probably a few dozen games and I've never, I've not even scratched the surface and exploring the space. Uh, and you choose when you want to jump out and then you, you parachute down and you try and be the last person alive. There's guns and armor and bullets and all kinds of and grenades laid around. There's houses like it's an abandoned island, basically. It looks with like vaguely Eastern European language on there, uh, like plastered on a few things. Uh, you just kind of explore, run around, try not to die and try and take out other people if possible. And that's it. That's the game. It is 
a concept that I wasn't sure I would like at when when I heard it. And then I watched people play it, and then I tried it myself, and it is a fun game. It is it, when you I've made it to number four. That's the highest I've been. The fourth person gone. Like the Lord like down to ninety six others dead. I'm the fourth fourth from last to die. I have not won yet. I really want to win. That'd be cool just to get it once. It's hard though. Um but it is heart pounding act like when you're down to like the last ten people, um it is very exciting. The I, I, I guess the conceit about Battle Royale, and this is a thing that this game basically just steals, is that your play space is continually closing and closing and closing and constricting. Like, when you start off the game, immediately after you land, uh, the, 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 you'll get an alert saying, get into this certain map area, and it's a big circle. And this big circle is very big, it'll take up most of the map. But then after that, the, it closes down, if you're outside you'll die. And then after a little bit more time, it closes down again and it closes down again and forcing everyone who's left alive into a smaller and smaller and smaller area. And all those places that you could be hiding in, you can't because there will be outside the invisible wall that will kill you. So you have to run, drive, get into that little tiny area and everyone else who's still alive is also going to be doing the same. And so you have to hide or, or shoot someone from afar or sneak up on someone or... It's very exciting when you are that, like, you're just crawling through the grass and you don't know where you see a person and you're like, oh, can I take them out? Like, it's, it's not, it, you, couple shots will, you'll die. It's a very quick death. Also, you go r- directly back into another game when you die. So there's no waiting around. There's no, the problem with a lot of those, like, survival games like Arma, like DayZ is like, you could be playing for like 10 hours and build up a bunch of shit. And then some dude just like, ah, fuck you and kill you real fast. And you're just like, God damn it. All that time. This game, you're like, oh, well, if I die, I'm immediately into a new game. I don't lose anything. You know, it's it's a very quick uh, turnover. You don't need a – there's not a lot of investment. You're building something. You're just like, hey, I, I found an assault rifle, whatever. Cool. I have an assault rifle. But it's not like, oh, that was my assault rifle. You're just like, yeah, it's a weapon. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if you'll ever, you'd ever <laughs> – like – I don't, it doesn't look like a thing that I would play, but like, I, I understand the concept and I, I approve. It it's seems. a lot, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun thing. I, it's a, it it, looks it's, like it's, it. it's also a fun thing to watch, actually. Like, it is really doing, doing very well with streamers and I understand why. It's like, it's still really exciting to watch someone like try and survive on this. It's like an easy concept. There's no like, hey, I don't have to understand story. I just have to understand like, oh crap, this dude's, Trying to drive his dune buggy around this weird island and not get killed. I, I, the only problem with a rocket launcher or a bazooka would be so powerful, but I would really love to see some explosive weapons. Maybe they'll add that as a, like a, a modifier or something. I wonder if they're going to add new maps. Probably. It's an early access, I should mention. There's a lot of technical problems with it. It's a little rough, <laughs> it's a little rough around the edges. I mean, my game, it, people talk about it crashing and stuff. If it's never crashed on me, there's just, you know, weird pop in and like a lot of rough things, but it works. I've never had any problem with it working. So that's a, that's a cool thing. Hey, Eric, what do you want to talk about? I'm monopol- I've uh, monopolized this time, just like Diamond has monopolized. You have. You've, the- uh, it is just, this whole podcast has just been you just talking at me. You're, you're lucky I love you. Oh. The new Bill Nye show is out. Oh, have you I've watched, watched it? a couple of episodes of it? Is it? And it's it is interesting. Bill it Nye is, saves the world. Is that the name of it? Bill Nye saves the world is true. Um, it is incredibly um, almost like pandering 
two millennials <laughs> and it, it and it fails in a, in a in a lot of ways you know like they try and do these like uh daily show like correspondent bits and they're not as good comedians as the daily show right you know um but i mean it's it's interesting you know i enjoy watching it but i think the thing that bothers me the most about it is there's no science at like this is science education for the educated you know the people that really need to hear the message on like the first episode is all about climate change the first part the people that need to hear that are not going to be interested in the the way that bill is telling the story this is a i don't know echo chamber of the show this is echo chamber of the show yeah this i mean it is it is a an interesting it is like it is kind of like cosmos for dummies hosted by bill nye Okay. You know, yeah. All right. I understand. It is, it, it is. It is cute. It's fun. It really, really tries very hard to be hip, and Bill Nye is so not hip. He is the least hip person that's ever lived, and that's that's a big part of like his charm. I think is how dorky he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just like making weird noises or doing stupid voices when he's having a conversation with someone. I don't know. I, I mean, I I mean, Netflix has kind of taken that tact with like, hey, all these people who, all these '90s kids, millennials, like they did Fuller House, and they're doing more Fuller House. They're doing like they're they're doing a Carmen San Diego show. Yeah. They're and like I grew up watching Bill Nye's show, uh, Bill mm-hmm. Nye Science Guy, and it I've seen clips of it now as an adult, and I'm like, well, I liked it because it was a kids show. It was for it was targeted at my audience, but. I don't, I, I don't, that's a, it's a very narrow niche of like, hey, it's a science show, but it's not going for like really high level stuff. It's not trying to be grandiose like Cosmos is. Uh, and it's only on Netflix and it's only like, I don't, I'm curious, like, I don't think Netflix would green light things unless they knew people would watch it, but I, I think they oh, have, yeah. I think they, they know. Again, I also see the data that Adam Sandler movies on Netflix are wildly popular, even though the new ones are terrible. Mm-hmm. So I don't. There, I mean, there's there's all kinds of people have Netflix. Millennials don't only watch Netflix. Mo, a lot of people have like there's a hundred million subscribers to Netflix. Or even a hundred million millennials. Uh, that's a third of the, the U.S. population. Uh, I, I don't. know. I'm curious. I saw that. I'm like, I should also want to watch the new MS3, MST3K, but I just don't have it. Mm-hmm. Been having to watch Ren and Stimpy. I have Lucha heard Underground. that it is. I, I have heard that it is good. Lucha Underground's delicious. <laughs> it is. It is great. Uh, I, no complaint. I, I, I'm not I, complaining I, about watching Lucha Underground. It's just I have, you know, I have pro- podcast priorities. I can't just watch uh, whatever I want. Well, I did. Uh, watch. Typically, I, watched... I come. Typically, I come home after work and I watch like just try and like decompress the day and end up watching an episode or two or uh, of Lucha Underground every day. Yeah. Well, it's, it's well, well, we can save I, I our Lucha. Watched, I, well, I know. I'm just saying that I have, if I'm also checking in, I have definitely watched more than 11 episodes. Of <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I am. I, I am partway into season two at this point. Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it's so good. Have I, you watched any of it before? You yeah, haven't watched it? I've watched it before. I've watched some of it before, but I, I've, I'm holding it back now at this point. Man, 
there is I, I even to tell you what happens I think would be spoilery. I I I I've, there's, I've there's heard echoes of, of things. Stuff. Yeah, I've heard I've heard I've, I see things you can't help it. You if you are a part of wrestling Twitter, you kind of get everything thrown yeah. at you unless you like of course. avoid it entirely, but I have managed to say mostly I obviously there's I know there's things that happen that I I'm expecting to come, but I'm still taking in the the smaller details. I'm just like taking in as we go. Um I don't know. I I probably will watch some Bill Nye at some point just to see it. Just to like I watched some Cosmos just to get a hold on it. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in more MST MST3K and how that looks and how that works now with a new cast. I think that's an interesting spin on that. I mean Netflix. God, how many effing shows does Netflix have now? Well, like, I mean, it's it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty simple thing that they can invest in their own content. And, yeah put it out there and people watch it or people subscribe or whatever they like it, it it's a it's a smart business model and that's they seem to be the only ones that get it like amazon kind of tries and hulu kind of tries but i don't know <sighs> apparently there's a bill finger documentary coming to hulu i'm very interested in seeing that i have heard about that bill finger documentary quite some time ago people were talking about it but yeah, maybe it was a maybe maybe it's based on a book or something that came out recently. There was maybe a, that's there, what I heard about. There was a I want to say a comic about Bill Finger that came out last year at some point. Hmm. Like called Thank You Bill Finger or something like along those lines something like that. It was it was a, a primarily about it was like a, a bio comic. Uh oh. Anything else you want to go talk about Eric before we go? Was, we're we're running. This is going to be a long episode. Too bad. I guess. Always. It always it is as we we yes we have a tendency to talk. We're long gentlemen. <laughs> yes, of course. Calm down. Yes, you ready to move on? I think so. Beep beep beep. Uh, we can move on to our final segment. It is time for Nerdboy Book Club. <laughs> I, I'm gonna do it. Nerdboy Book Club is the part of the show where Eric and I will sign a longer collected work and discuss it in depth, like you would a book club. This week we are joined by a special guest. Ivy Decker from the the World Wide Web, the internet. She has many things all over it. Ivy, how are you? Many things. Yes, I'm doing very well. Happy to be here. You've re- you've rejoined us. You've come back. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's we we didn't we didn't you know we're not so awful that you couldn't bear it a once a year trip to the Hansel Boys Comics Hour. <laughs> ah, it's fun. I'm that, we're gonna I'm gonna pull that. That's a pull quote. I'm gonna put that on our. <laughs> Yeah, on the on the on the, on the, ba- on the on the on the back of the DVD box that mm-hmm. we're of course going to sell of our podcast. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> uh, we are discussing the Stone Heart, uh, the second book in the Nameless City trilogy by Faith Aaron Hicks and colors by Jordi Belair. Um, the Dark Middle Chapter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what it is, if you want to call it's, it that. It's the. It's the... It's uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it kind of is. It's not too far yeah. off. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I still really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I think I think I like I blew this I blew through this one uh quicker, but I think I I do feel like I enjoyed it more. Like I kind of I want to spend more time rereading this one. I don't think I've revisited the first book since we read it. Um but I think I'm getting caught up more in this world and these characters and I don't know. I'm finding myself, I mean, obviously more and more invested 
you know, I, I, I've got more stake in it now. Right. Ivy. I've got to, I've got to see the whole trilogy. Ivy, what did you, what are your thoughts? You like it still or high, low? I actually liked the second book more than the first, um, just by a little bit. Um, you know, there's a little less setting up the world, which, you know, you need to do it in yeah. you know, fantasy Asia or whatever this is. Um, you need to have a place where you do that. And she does that very well. Um, but in this one, it was less necessary. It was mostly like there needed to be a little bit of a recap and maybe a little bit of fill in to tell us what's been happening since we last saw these folks. Um, and uh, it was done very well. And that way she could spend most of her time kind of focusing on what happened from here rather than the past. Although there was some flashbacks as well, which I thought also handled well. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's that it's unanimous. I, I also like this one more than the first one. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's a little bit more subtle. I think there's a little bit more nuance to to, to everything. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. The, the 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 I I guess like I think what you said, Ivy, is like yeah, the first one has a lot of world building it has to do to try and mm-hmm. like under like oh we're in what the nameless city is what who are the all these people what do they represent all that this book feels like it can get deeper into both the characters and the themes like that she is clearly trying to push in the story uh and i i don't know i really appreciated that more and it felt i flipped through that first one like, i didn't read it but i just kind of looked through it and re- like try to remind myself like oh yeah this is the steps this is what what we learned and i feel like this book because it doesn't ha- you're it doesn't have to do that work it can just like and even after like being rusty on that first book i still like remembered immediately like oh yeah mm-hmm. and, like i knew like almost right away i'm like oh yeah who this was and who that was and like i don't know i think yeah. that it it does speak to her the the good world building she did in that first book, but like that you can immediately jump back into this this universe and know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it does take a lot of uh, balance as a writer to figure out how much do you recap because if you're reading the second one right after the first, it's obnoxious when the first few pages are devoted to catching you up. Uh, and she found a way to do it so that no matter where you're reading this you're still going to enjoy what she does. I appreciated that. That was really good. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, I don't, I'm sure some people will pick this, just pick this one up and then come back to that first one. And I don't think you necessarily have to, like, I think there is a, it is a very, like they do it in comics all the effing time where they're like, mm. like, like we talk about that in Marvel and DC. Marvel has recap pages. DC does not. And you read DC books and sometimes it's like the first two pages might as well be the recap page because they're just like, or eh. the whole, or the whole issue is a recap page <laughs> for a bunch of things. And you're like, why did I spend $5 on this? It doesn't make any sense. And this is like very much like, I think she just goes back to like, okay, who are the, you know, it's uh, Kai and Rat and you have them be the they're the core of the first book anyway and the story is in a general so just return to them and let them kind of naturally through dialogue to a lot of characters just kind of fill us in without being like explicit like remember like what happened last month wink wink <laughs> man yeah, we we that know, sure was a sticky situation we were in. They they you know they they give us they, I mean they go on a they walk around and talk to all the characters and then you're quickly like oh yeah I remember now all those guys all those people I I think the thing I like most about this is I, I, <laughs> is the fact that it I feel like it adds a lot of shades of gray to this world that is was like I think she was trying to make it a little bit more nuanced in that first book but like you. 
t- you mentioned Star Wars, I feel like it was kind of new hopey where it was like, mm. these are good guys and these are bad guys. And this book feels like there's a lot more nuance to that in that there's these, like all these people are like, yeah, we want to move on. We want to make uh, yeah. the, the city, uh, a, a city ruled by uh, a council, by everyone having a voice, all the, all the tribes, all the different factions, but it, you, it's not as easy as that. And you see all these people's pasts where they were, they've done horrible things and they're trying to make up for it. Or people who are like, uh, what, Erzy? Is that, I'm not sure how you say it. Erzy? Erzy? The son? Something like that. Yeah, the bad, the bad, the bad, the bad son, uh, of, uh, the general, like, he, it's not easy, like, he, he represents a lot of those elements of like, you, making a big cultural change like this is never that simple. It's never gonna be that easy, and it's, the, by the way, she, those flashbacks, like, of seeing how Rat's parents got killed, or how, you know, we, those kind of, not necessarily like revelations, but I think characters having revelations about, oh yeah, my dad was a soldier. He could have been a part of those crew that killed her her parents like all those elements of of these past injustices coloring these efforts to make the future better and how difficult it is do you how do you what's the 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 female bodyguard's name mirza mara mara i think i can't remember you guys remember Uh, mora mora m-u-r-a and yeah what how do you guys feel about her well um she's kind of pulling the strings isn't she yeah i mean yeah (laughs) she yeah, I I don't. Do you, do you think she borders into kind of too villainous at times? Well, so far we haven't seen a whole lot of what makes her that way. Um, we've seen a little bit, uh, and we can kind of understand it. But so far, I, I'm expecting since the other characters do have some layers, I'm expecting to see more of hers later. But right now, she's always in the right place at the right time, knowing what buttons to push, knowing that. You know, you've got this young, suddenly dictator kind of person stepping into a throne that he doesn't even really want. He has no idea what to do. And she's immediately there whispering in his ear, telling him, oh, you should do this. You should do that. Um, and he doesn't even realize he's being controlled. Yeah, he's he he kills his own father. And then in and like because of his father's control over him, basically, and. Then immediately is basic. I, you know, Mora is basically taking control of him now. It's not, she's just pushing him in a direction he's more comfortable with. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's not, Hey, leave this city. The only city you've ever known. I think that's also interesting in that his character doesn't want to leave the city when, uh, you know, he's never left that city while Kai is, was the newcomer to the city in the first volume and is now also not sure what like that they've they managed like she manages to intertwine their 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 struggle and wanting to leave the city and i think that kai's earlier struggle of having to leave the only place he ever knew to come to this city it kind of gives us an interesting inflection point between the two um eric do you like do you like mora i i do okay i don't i don't see her as full-on like villainous right and I, I i i'm i'm just really curious because you know you you bring up the idea of um you know all the layers on the character and essentially there's everything in this exists in some some kind of gray area you know, mm-hmm. like if, you know if we do this and these people don't like it and is it really right that like I have to leave the on, literally the only home I've ever known, and like this is good for these. I mean, it, 
I just feel like everything in this is very muddy and very complicated, and I do think it's interesting that it it can be so easy to look at her more simply and just say that she is kind of villainous. But I I have a hard time seeing just that. Like I just I find her really fascinating. I think she's like I I don't know. I think she's an awesome badass. Apart from any of that stuff, I thought she was really impressive in the first book. Yeah. Um. But um, I don't know. Like the 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 flashback of her uh being cast out of the of the monastery and you know being taken in and it. I find it very interesting. It's 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 a little it's a little mushy in my head right now. It's hard for me to really kind of articulate all of it, but I think that her in particular, that like there's going to be some really fascinating character moments in the third volume. Yeah. And she is, she is a real, um, like you said, she's a badass, but mm. I really like when somebody has like this huge reputation for being an amazing fighter and then they actually are in combat. Yeah. Like the, you know, that's the person to beat, and somehow the heroes usually beat them, like, a lot more easily than they should be able to beat this crazy badass. Um, but in in the case of when she's chasing the main characters, in the like, in the library, it's kind of like, they very nearly both got their asses handed to them by her. But first of all, there were two of them. And secondly, mm-hmm. they were both very, like well-versed in evasion and they weren't trying to get her or hurt her back. They were trying to get away. So it's like, that made sense to me. Like they didn't win, but they got away, you know? <laughs> yeah. It lets her, so it, that it, was, it, it, it lets her keep her reputation. Like it, it doesn't damage her as a, as in the status of the reader's mind as a badass fighter. She is still clearly a better fighter than anyone we've seen. Uh, at least, you know, she seems to hand, hand anyone their, their ass in a straight on fight. Uh, yes. I, I, I only ask if she's like, I think that she, I don't necessarily think she's a, I think they, I think, uh, Hicks does a good job at keeping her very murky and not just straight up mustache twirly villain. I just, I just think that. I mean, she makes a face, you know? (laughs) Yeah. She's, I think just, it's, she's a much shorter distance. Than some of the other characters, somewhat because we haven't seen as much of her backstory. We've only only seen it really in right. this book, uh, and that's only small bits where you know she got cast out from the monks and she got taken in by Urzi um, and and the and the the, the army. Uh, I think like it. I just I'm always kind of whenever you see those Iago type characters, like the whispery in the ear type characters. You know, they have it, uh, oh, Lord of the Rings. What was that? Uh, the Grimo worm tongue. Yeah. That, like that kind of character. I'm like, uh, it's like, it's he, there's no nuance in that, in that trope, in that stereotype. And and I, I'm always like, okay, please don't, don't fall into that. I think like she's not doing it now, but I'm always just like, I don't want her to just be the whisper in the ear. I like, I think that they Nick Hicks does a good job at, at keeping her just enough nuance to avoid that. I just hope that like, it's hard to not have, like you need to have a villain clearly. And like, I was like this book, honestly, there's really no straight up conflict until like halfway through this book. Like the, the, when uh, Erzy finally kills his father up until that point, it's just kind of like a lot of, 
it's a slower, it's a like slower paced and more just kind of character exploration. And I was kind of wondering what was, what was building and how. I feel like it built tension, but okay. not necessarily conflict. And also connection. Yeah. Which is important to like, I mean, that's why I read comics. If I read them is I want to see relationships between characters and, uh, you know, I'm not as much into the fighting. So I think if you're a big like action scene person, you're probably not going to dig this that much, even though there are fight scenes, but she kind of chooses the panels really sort of sparingly in fights so that, you know, there was a fight and this is what happened in the fight, but she spends a lot more time with people having meaningful glances and body language. That means something panels or whole pages of panels where there is no dialogue because they're just communicating with their stances. Um, and she spends so much more time on that than she does on a fight scene. I mean, I fundamentally think that's more interesting. I uh, do. Like, I mean, no, I mean, but like, even I, I like fight scenes that also for like a fight scene in and of itself. Like, I think that library scene yeah. is effective. That's like, what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it is a fight scene. It is not. It is not necessarily like selling like, look at this tr- like amazing monumental action like set piece kind mm-hmm. of thing. It is more like the choices each of those characters make in the in that scene immediately tells you a lot like in their choices and how they fight tells you a lot about those characters as well and like the fact that they're like throwing books and sh- and then while uh mara is like straight up like throwing like clothes lines at people and like just and immediately it's just like the first thing she does when they when they're alone and and uh rat questions her direction she's just like oh well capture him kill her and it quickly tells you exactly what she is and then that fight scene is immediately also communicates how dangerous she is in a fight and also how talented like we've seen a whole book of those two learning how to run and escape from things so it's not seeing those two styles clash against each other is also telling a lot about their character not just like oh who's gonna win in this fight like that's i i think that is our complaint about superhero comics all the time in where they choose to put fights it's not necessarily the fight itself that is interesting it is how they how those fights project character like a good fight doesn't only necessarily like compel you by how the action is told, but is also like, do they choose to throw a punch or do they choose to like hide? Do they, what tactically, how do they think and how does that also further their character? And the fact that like the other thing I'm thinking of this book is the training sequence with, uh, with Kai. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was great. Where he doesn't fight at all. He dodges the, yeah. The trainer's yeah, sword. Yeah, asking, like, why do I have to be a warrior? And they're like, well, you're born in the wrong empire if you're not. Yeah, it's, it, 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 like, it just, it, it like, it adds to that character of, of who Kai is and not necessarily, like, yeah, he's not necessarily going to fight. He's going to try and avoid the fight. And each step along the way, it's, you know, a further progression of it. And it is, I think, like, the, 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 the action, so to speak, like, this, the action is also them running. Like, whenever you see them in that first book, like, them doing the, the parkour style, like, running across, across, across rooftops and stuff like that, those are action scenes, technically, but it is also furthering character. It is like, hey, these two value their companionship, they're doing it together, they're exploring this city in which one is a, a native and one is a newcomer. Like, it, she does a tremendous job at connecting like mechanical action to character. I agree with that. You know, and I, I, uh, 
it might be partly just that I don't read that many comics. Um, and the ones that I do read, I don't read a lot of action comics, but I often have trouble following action in panels if it's not done the way this is. And I didn't have any trouble with this. No, Eric and I have talked about storytelling a lot recently. She's, she's, she's gifted. No. Yeah. This is like that. You're not like, I, I like you mentioned that you don't read a lot of like we read all these superhero comics week to week and it is a, like as we go on that talent of making actions clear and especially in fight scenes is a one of the most things I think I value most in in comic books because and one that is I think only beginning to get recognized more is so important like it's not flashy it doesn't like pop off the page for you like oh I understood what was happening. Like how fundamental, like obviously that's fundamental, but no one ever, I, I think a lot of artists don't necessarily get featured because they can make an action scene compelling and interesting, but also make it clear and concise and not waste time or condense things to such a degree that you don't get the fights. Like the, the fight scene is, it becomes meaningless if you don't know what's happening. It, it might as well not yep. be there. And you might as well just have them posing. Yeah, exactly. Which there's a lot of that too. <laughs> I was waiting. Exactly. Look at my muscles. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I was going to segue into her art and say like the storytelling in this is really tremendous. It's, it's spectacular. And like, I don't, yeah. I, 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 you don't get lost ever. It's all, and yeah. with a book that is, has all these characters and there are a lot of people are wearing uniforms and you could fall into the mm. trap of them looking similarly and not knowing who's who. No, she does a very good job of differentiating all these characters. And that's always that's always the mark of someone who has really thought things through. Like, here's my whole cast and eight of them don't look the same. <laughs> you can identify all of them very, very easily and quickly. She does also sort of simplify the characters for either faraway models or mm -hmm. over-the-top emotions. Like, you know, sometimes their eyes are just two dots and their mouth is just like a circle or a line. And even when she's doing that, it still feels relatively realistic, even though I'd say like the faces and the hair and stuff kind of leans toward cartoony. But it's still uh, overall, like anatomically, the characters look pretty proportional mm -hmm. and when they're running around, they're doing things that are not improbable or impossible with their bodies. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, it's, it's interesting the, that she combines the cartooniness yeah. of it with the realism. Well, she's got a, a really a, a great knack for stylization, but her characters are, you know, weighty and dimensional. And you feel like you get a sense for like that head and is it it can turn in space. You know, it, yeah. it, it looks they, they look like objects, you way. know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, everything has gravity. Everything has a, the weight and uh, weight to it. And I mean that it, it things are, I don't know. It and it adds a fragility to things. It makes things because of that that realism, despite the cartoony nature of some certain characters at times. Like it's never like cartoonish, cartoonish violence or or uh, or. Right. It's it's when there is violence, it is very serious and and uh, like it. I, I think it ties in thematically to the nature of the city and the nature of the, I guess, peace that we find ourselves in this book and that things can fall apart. Things do fall apart very quickly. And like her, it's her art adds to that. It's not just like, Hey, 
we uh we have to tell through art through the dialogue that things are tenuous you can tell just by looking at her art and through facial expressions and all that that obviously things are tense things are dangerous here we ha- everyone should be careful all the time mm-hmm. I, I don't remember if i said this the last time but i also appreciate the balance between the drawing of scenes and the drawing of figures because um like usually at least in my experience you can tell which one somebody prefers to draw because they mostly do that and sort of half-ass some of the other things um so you can tell when somebody's like really into drawing like the architecture and stuff but not so much with the humans that are walking around inside of it and vice versa but she has like a, a balance between these two things you can't really tell which one she likes more um, and it's especially appropriate for this subject matter because the city is so important. The setting is such an important part of the story. So it's great to see it given that loving care in a story that also has so much expressiveness with the characters' faces and body language. Yeah. I mean, it is the, it is the Nameless City trilogy. Like, and I think that you have to, I don't think it is, I, I feel like the city itself is more of a character in that first volume. Um, because, <laughs> Because, I mean, it is called the Nameless City, but also because we are, we are seeing it for the first time. And so it is, it is, I think, a little bit, this, it feels more of a backdrop in this, but I, we never, you never forget that it's there. You never forget where you are. I think she does a good job at, at making this feel like a lived in place. Uh, and mm-hmm. you follow her Twitter, how many times she talks about how she make drawing tiles on rooftops mm-hmm. and how she, she hates it, but she still does <laughs> really? it. Yes. She talks that I, I, I remember, she's like, I can remember multiple times where she's like, you know, she's like, hey, here's a preview of the book and I hate drawing roofs, but I'm, she keeps doing it. Uh, and like, it, she's like, I hate, why did I do this? Why did I set this in a place with tiled roofs? Why would I, I to draw 500 tiles on this one rooftop? Um, but I think that's, that's a present that someone needs to send her when she wins an Eisner for this trilogy is just like, you know, a bunch of roofing tiles, <laughs> just like a like a like a like a pallet of them. Congrats! Here you go. I'm sure, she'll appreciate that. She will. She'll just scream and they'll go eat a breakfast buffet. <laughs> There's sort of a zen to a repetitive pattern, though. Mm. You know, like you can get into that. Um, I don't know. I should incorporate that into my comics because. Like, I hate drawing scenery, I hate drawing backgrounds, and it really shows, because I literally will just scribble in the background, and I'm like, that's the that's the ocean, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine that's the ocean, and it looks identical to if I'm drawing the beach, or if I'm drawing the floor of a forest. It's like, it's a scribble. Just just have a, a fading neon color scheme to the background. That's all that I mean. Half mm-hmm. comic books nowadays. That but that I is... do it in pencil, so that's not uh, possible. Um, There's uh, no solution. I'm... No solution. Mm-hmm. No. No, but like I'm not really an artist, so I don't care. <laughs> you're an you're an artist, Ivy. Well, I'm an amateur. Let's put it that way. I am not a pro. I am a hobbyist, and it is very clear. So that's one hobbyist's view. Of <laughs> it goes like this. It's a scribble. Okay. It's not awesome roof tiles. You, were you guys expecting Urzi to turn? I was, I was actually, uh, that's the son. I was, I was not expecting him to kill his father. I wasn't really either, at least yeah. not then, but 
um, he's really the only person that I felt like his motivation was a little bit uh, fragile. Like, right. they they spend a good time on it, a good amount of time on the conversation between him and his dad um, about how he felt like I had been told since I was born that this city would be, you know, something I would grow up to govern. And now it's possible I might not even get to live here because of this council crap. And so he's pissed off about that, not necessarily thinking about, is this better for a way for a mm-hmm. peaceful situation? Um, he's just thinking, I grew up thinking I would be a military leader and that I would rule this place. And now I don't get to do that. And you turn my world on its head. And that part is understandable. But the part where he kills somebody and then says, I'm not a conqueror, damn you. You know, it's just like, why are you acting like that if you're supposedly so pissed off that you're not a conqueror um so that uh that was actually i liked that he there was that irony there uh, that he has no idea that that's exactly what a conqueror does um, and later in the story um you know kai is talking about how he hardly knows his dad but he's not going to kill him just because it seems to be kind of a tradition among their people <laughs> killing your dad and take his power yeah so uh yeah. you know that's uh um, yeah, I wasn't really expecting to see that this early, but um, I am actually surprised that the um, general didn't see it coming, that he was kind of provoking his son with his worst fear. And then yeah. he didn't he didn't even like see the knife coming. Come on. It so, seems pretty stupid in retrospect. Yeah, a little I, bit. Um, I, I like yeah. I I I like I like that. Er, like, I feel like Erzy, I think he's along with Mara, the the it's their motivations for their, you know, theoretical being the villain of the story. Like, I think that they're both gray and they could, they could slide off into, you know, Oh, we needed a villain. So they became it thing. But I think she does do a good job of establishing, like in contrast with Kai, who, when he fights, he is dodging. He is not actually fighting. He is just trying to not fight and questioning everything. While Urzi is older, he has gone through that same training. And was grown, grew up before this, this piece was even like trying to be established. He, he's only been taught violence. He's only been trained in, in their culture of domination. And they do establish after the fact that, you know, sons end end up always killing their father. I think that because Urzi has never actually fought, I think his father didn't expect it probably in that regard. Like, I think yeah, it's just seems dangerous before that. Yeah. There's never, he's never, he's, he grew up in the city. He hasn't gone to war and I could totally see the general, like not, not seeing it out of his, I mean, it, it's hard. I, it's hard to argue that he would comp- expect his son to betray him. But I, again, it's like, oh. I don't, their relationship does seem like I, like I don't know if they how close they seem re- relatively close they like they but it's just I think the general keeps everyone at a distance because he is he is in charge he has to have a kind of an air of, of authority and and distance from everyone. Yeah, I'm, well, he probably would have seen it coming if it was premeditated, but it was completely impulsive. Yeah, and he didn't know what to do with himself after he did it. He's like, I can't be the general. What are you talking about? What? What, what do I do? Yeah, so, you're you're in charge now. Not, I think. 
he, yeah, he would have seen it coming if it was planned because he would have telegraphed it. I think he didn't have the experience hiding that kind of stuff from it from his dad or anyone important. But it was just, you know, it was a reaction. It was sudden and it surprised him too. I think it's also, it makes me think that these, all these, the, the, what the Dow, they are so, they're trained so much in military uh, strategy and fighting, but they don't have training in necessarily like emotional, uh, like strength and relationships. And they're just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to insult my son and tell him he has to leave. And then I'm just going to turn my back on him. I'm sure that'll be okay. I, uh, it'd be cool. He has a sign on his back that says weak point with the flashing red gem. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> he, he only took one hit though. Not three. Yeah. He didn't, not that he's not a typical Zelda boss at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We didn't get near. We didn't, we got a lot less time with the monks as well in this one than the first one. That's true. There's a, there's they're 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 kind of pushed a little bit to the background till the end of this of this book. Yeah, because yeah. we we do get to see all their shit burn down. Yeah, mm. which mm-hmm. get to see the library of Alexandria destroyed. You think that's a a clear parallel? You think he's trying to make that a kind of historical parallel? I mean, it's not it's not impossible. I don't. Um... I mean, it's there. It's, it, it it is there, but I think that it's more just the kind of ugly things that happen in history. Right. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't know if it would have been inspired by or not. Um, you know, um, speaking of which, like with that special book that only you could only read if you knew the language, um, I I was actually kind of expecting and and hoping not to see this, so I'm glad it didn't happen. But I was kind of I I was kind of expecting that. When Kai found out, like, oh, it, uh, from Rat, the the monks know how to speak this language that they they learn it and they keep it secret. I was worried that he that he was going to be suspected, like that Rat would suspect him being the one who revealed to the bad guys or whatever to the opposition that the monks know how to read this language. Uh, and I'm really glad they didn't go there because that would have felt too planted. Um, I was really thinking it was going that direction. But then when he's straight up asked, um, are you hiding something? Do you know something I don't know? He says, after consideration, no. And he did not tell because he promised not to tell. Uh, you know, versus, uh, you know, somebody else you know, who know, who knows the answer. Uh, you know, Mura know, knew, knew that the, the monks have the secret knowledge. She's the one that it came from, you know, so... Uh, I was uh, I was I was worried that um, you know he was gonna that this was gonna drive a wrench between them um, and that he was gonna look untrustworthy and I always hate those mm-hmm. kind of contrived things that misunderstandings break people up and they have to treat this as a conflict and everything so uh, yeah I'm and, glad they didn't go there <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of times when there's like hey we're fighting because we couldn't have a conversation. I don't, that, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it is contrived. It's like, hey, we needed conflict here between these characters. So instead of them having just talking it out, they're going to immediately like just turn on each other. Uh, I, like, I think that also adds to, again, the, the, how this city has worked for so long. Like the secrets, like the monks have that, this, they have, they kept that book and they have it as, as a secret. They, they can read the language. And the fact that there's only a very few that know that secret and, if you if it had been open knowledge between like because uh Kai doesn't tell about doesn't say like yeah they're actually if he had who knows what would happen if he had said something earlier um and mm-hmm. and it talks about, and I think it there is a certain layer of 
the are you know they are keeping sec- they're keeping this book secretive and technically that's a good thing because this book has terrible power but also the secret is also the thing that ends up maybe costing the city and the monks you know their their knowledge and their home you know it ends to things getting burnt down it's sad yeah having to choose between all of that important knowledge and your people i mean it's the obvious choice is always the people but it's just terrible i mean like i think that is immediately like it says so much about those the characters and the 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 monks and the, like they immediately it's immediately people it is never like not even a question of course if you know who's who's more important and i think yes of course the monks would say it but i like if you asked some of the other characters in this they i don't know if they would immediately just choose the people i think they would go oh well that knowledge can do so much more who cares if people die we need that you know we need the books I, I I can think of a lot of other fictional characters that you know intel uh, like knowledge is so much more valuable than anything and more valuable than a thousand lives or a million lives. It is the most thing that is, the thing that is tantamount. And I think the values we see immediately is like you no know, people are the most important thing. It it mm-hmm. it paints those monks like you know like they're obviously they have such good intentions, but they also kept that book they kept the book uh, which had that terrible knowledge in it. And it I don't know I. Uh, you know, I would have just destroyed it <laughs> if it was me and just like, Hey, let's get rid of this thing. So we never have to deal with it again. But that, you know, it speaks to their, their nature and that they're, I think kind of, you know, they're kind of idealists and kind of, you know, they don't see the bad and they don't understand. I don't know if they truly understand the, the breadth of what can happen when that kind of knowledge falls into bad hands. Maybe they see it as kind of, it just depends on the intentions of the one who wields it. But I don't know the way they talk about the northern people who used it to found the city, but then as I guess they used it as a weapon afterwards, and that was where it went bad. I don't know, um, but it uh, seems like a tool mm-hmm. uh, is bad or good. It depends on the hands it's in. So maybe that was the respect that they gave this tool to preserve it. I don't know. They kind of remind me of uh, of the Avout. You also read Anathem, Robbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of. Over their history, how they had discovered all of this like deep knowledge about the world because they essentially just did this and sat and gathered knowledge and sat and thought. And that was all that they did. And the outside world just came in and burned their monasteries to the ground and stole all their technology. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. They killed them also, so they didn't give them the choice. Yeah, I don't know. And the fact that uh, the the other thing I I have the the question of like Mora as a villain and how like the last page is yeah her grinning with her her, her eyes are very like they they she focuses Hicks focuses on her eyes a lot and it is they're mm. you know they're very striking and you know the one of the last panels of this book is her grinning widely with this her eyes wide open and i don't know it's it's hard to read that as anything other than like i have like it hurt i I feel like her arc is really like she has been powerless she grew up completely powerless she grew up Mm -hmm. without any control of her life or her, her choices and she grew up and she got older the first thing she does is she knows how she learns how to fight and trains herself to this degree where she is the best fighter in the book and now 
she has another opportunity to gain more power, more control. And it feels like she is being, she is being driven by the history of this, this, of this city as much as anything. You know, she's being driven by like, I have, I, I, instead of Rat, you know, who has kind of chosen a, 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 a path of relatively, relative pacifism, she has gone the other direction. You know, I, I think like they, she, uh, you know, there's, Along with like Kai and Urzi, like Rat makes an interesting mirror to uh, to Mora, where like they they both grew up in the city, they both grew up poor. While Mora has gone on to be a, like, I need to gain and muster as much power as I can. Rat seems to be trying to be you know peaceful and friendly and wanting the council to succeed, and Kai the same. Mm-hmm. Which you know the, the, those those two pairs are in direct conflict with each other. You know, I think mm-hmm. that they are the peace and war man. Yeah, and I think that Mora um, has a lot of resentment for Rat because she sees those parallels. And she's just like, you are naive if you think that the way you're approaching your life is not going to bite you in the ass because... Uh-oh. But I think Uh-oh. she also resents... Um, I think that she resents that she was thrown out of uh, the monk's area and Rat was not. She's still welcome there. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think, I think so. yeah, there's, there is certainly, I, I think like these, the, these characters, I think that keeps them from falling into that kind of like, Hey, we're just kind of, we, th- we are the villain. We announce it. It is that it is more about worldview, worldview and perspective driving their motivation than anything. It's very much like I have been a victim my entire life. And if you think that, if you rely on the on the the kindness of your of your know, people in charge of you and people in control, you're gonna you're gonna be punished for it. If you like, I I understand why Mora wants to seize that power because every time that she's been powerless, she's been victimized, and it like. Yeah. She so she is gonna like well the only way to not be a victim is to be in control is to be the most powerful and that is exactly what she is seeking she doesn't and I th- think it's interesting that her and Urzi the the pair you know they they both grew up in this city they both are from that city but you know she was poor and he was of the Dow and now their their goals are the same even though that they come from opposite places and how she in a sense like I. I don't think she likes the city. I don't think she ha I don't think she has a, a necessarily a pride in it. I, I feel like it is more like it is it's sort of like an ownership because of 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 knowledge of, of like it's the only place she's ever known. It's the only like even though she has been a victim of its culture and of, of how society works, she still has a sense of ownership over it despite all of that, and she doesn't want to give it up. And I don't know, maybe it's just a path to power. She doesn't really care that it's her city or not. Hmm. Yeah, you get the sense that she doesn't have any plans for power. She just wants it. <laughs> but I guess we'll find out more soon. She just wants to get back at the main girls. Wouldn't, <laughs> let, them, wouldn't, let, them, wouldn't let her be in the monastery. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you, and you see the, the, the monks, the, they're, they're upset that, they, you know, they're looking back there. They shouldn't have yeah. let her go. You know, they want her to. They, they, they're like, we, because I think, you know, they're very principled and they're, you know, oh, she stole, she has to leave. And I think that, that those, those rigid principles, like they are also, uh, you know, similar to the, the rigid principles of the Tao. They're just com- kind of opposite of them. And they are paying for that, you know, 
now way down the line because of them. Because like we see both systems in which the they're compl- so rigid and uh, principled, and they refuse to compromise. Things fall apart when they try. When they try, like to hey, we can finally change. It, it falls apart. Everyone goes crazy. Mm. This, this is pretty good. I would say it's pretty good. Give it, give it about a B. B minus. Does anybody have any uh, like uh, criticisms of it? Because we mostly just talked about we like. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I don't. I don't really like criticizing Faith Aaron Hicks. She's <laughs> she's a perfect, wonderful angel. Someone th- there was a an uh, I think it was a CBR article or something. One of those you know comic book uh, journalism sites. They're passing around like here's a top ten underrated. Um, uh, comic book artist, and one of them was Faith Aaron Hicks, and the guy that I followed was he, he was he didn't even tweet the article, but he was obviously talking about it. He's like, you know, if you win awards, you could that's that's a rating. You're a rated. You're not underrated. You're rated. Yeah, that's, that. It, it's the it's the lens that CBR and all those com- bleeding cool and uh, all those websites look through. It's like. Well, they're not rated properly by the typical 42-year-old man that goes to comic book yeah. stores. I'm like, well, it's not really – I mean – Yeah, according to who? That's, there's a lot of people who uh, – like you know, her audience is not – the dude who's going to buy Wolverine 17. He's going to – you know, the the person who buys this book is not necessarily looking for the same things. And I, yeah, she won an Iser. I don't think she's – she's she's rated – accordingly well by the people who i think anyone who reads her work goes yeah this is great this is really good i don't like my own like i i I don't it's this is very good i can't think of anything that i could really criticize it for i think that is it's it's hard for me to i to i feel like i've added almost nothing to this conversation just because i've read through this and i'm like this is this is good this is really good yeah it's, it's i don't know it's this it's the slayer album conversation You're like this book by faith aaron hicks is exactly like a book like faith aaron hicks in which it is very excellent yeah it's it's a, <laughs> it's, it's it, almost ridiculous like it's, you it's it's right there at the level of content that you expect out of her and it's it, it I don't know. It's like the first one, but better. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't fall into like this. The the second part of like so, oftentimes planned trilogies yeah. too just turns like it has an ending that you go oh eh you know like yeah. you go yeah. like oh I know there's a third so I don't really you know I don't care what happens in the second one it's just a gateway to the yeah. third part of the story. It, it's not of a deferment to a big ending. It actually like has a lot of great moments in it and is a great story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and you know what? Um, in the in the first one, there were like my I think the the thing that I I don't know if I would even call it like a complaint, but the the one thing that I noticed a lot of in the first one was there were kind of like a lot of uh, common story tropes, which you know that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just I noticed they were kind of common things, and in the second one there were fewer of those, which is very interesting that mm. there was. There was a lot of stuff that I felt was fresher in the second volume versus the first, um, which, you know, again, it's not a bad thing. But, you know, I can name places I've seen somebody do this kind of story element before, you know, yeah. like um, like in the first one, an example would be they uh, they had um, a repeated uh, physical conflict that um, 
what's his name, um, that Kai had, uh, where he was trying to get this jump, he was trying to get this jump, and then the one of the final conflicts involved him having to make that jump, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, they do that all the time in anime. But, um, you know, there were there were several of those, and I, I, I was thinking, you know, this isn't a bad thing to do, they do it a lot because it's cool, because it's dramatic, because it's uh, res- resonates with people, but um, you know, if you've if you've kind of seen it play out this way before, then you kind of know what to expect, and you kind of know if you see this in the beginning, and then you see it repeated in the middle, you're probably going to get this ending. And I, I like it when people can switch that up, but like that one didn't didn't really do that. Um, whereas, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was I was kind of expecting the the planting of like you have to promise not to tell thing to lead to a a conflict between the main characters and it didn't which was very nice um but the only i think the only thing that i would say is at all tropey in this second one was that she uh, there's a lot of like let's flash back to an event in somebody's childhood that directly explains a certain aspect of them as an adult and you know we all have formative moments and that's what flashbacks are for there seem to be three or four of those in this where they flash back to somebody's past to explain something that's going on in the present and it's always like a specific event or set of events from when they were a child um so while that explains a lot about a lot of people and we can probably sit here and say i'm like this because of this thing that happened to me when i was a kid um i I saw that kind of being leaned on a lot in this one and um it's more an observation than a criticism it's just you know i noticed it yeah i I don't don't... No, I, I, it's really good. Yeah, it's very good in yeah. the the storytelling. I mean, I don't mind the flashbacks necessarily. Like, I think like she. Oh, yeah, I like. I think that they are. I I I think it speaks to the quality of her art and story in that I'm immersed while I was reading it, and I wasn't noticing the seams of like oh she used this element of story like this is how she constructed the story like those are always my favorite i mean all fiction not even just like comics but in comics you literally are seeing it visually in the art so it you know it makes a distinction between like prose but i I never like i i very rarely am popped out of this story and going like oh she i don't see the artist's decisions necessarily i just see I'm reading the story. I'm engrossed by it. I want to know, oh no, what's happening with the city? Oh no, what's going to, are the monks like the, you know, them fleeing and like the little touches with the guards when they go, when they leave through that gate and the guards are like, yeah, no, we we didn't see anything. Keep going. We don't see anybody trying to leave. Yeah. Like, and like it, I don't, I wasn't thinking about, oh, well, she clearly set that up. She foreshadowed this relationship by having them be friendly early on. I just went like, oh, good. Like those guards are a couple of the good ones. Like you, you, like I wasn't thinking, I was thinking in the story, I wasn't thinking like artist decisions and storytelling decisions. Uh, there's still people, I don't, I'm like, we, we talked a lot, a lot in the first, uh, our first discussion about appropriation. Um, I just, I can't, we are generally, critical about that kind of stuff i just don't really see this as a big offender still mm-hmm. i don't know yeah and ultimately we wouldn't be the ones who would give somebody permission to do that so. yeah exactly mm-hmm. but i it's not like or why do you think it doesn't it doesn't strike me like it doesn't i'm not hit in the face by oh that's a like oh why did they why did she do that why did she use this thing from a culture i'm just like i go i 
me myself, I don't see any big. There's no like neon signs telling me that this is bad. I'm yeah, yeah. I don't. It's I, a, it's it's, it's, it's very hard to that that whole topic is a very hard thing to do as a person whose culture is not being like. There's nothing in this is you know usually a lot of Asian uh you know uh Chinese. I think Chinese is what they I. I've read, but again, I don't know. I haven't studied Japanese mm. or Chinese or any other Asian cultures. I haven't studied their architecture. Although I, if I don't think using architecture from a culture is a, I, I think that is a stretch calling that cultural appropriation using like, Oh yeah. Hey, yeah. we use the same kind of roofs. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess it harkens to that, to that place, but I don't, I, it's, I don't, I, it's you, I, I, again, it's hard for me to understand like how using a, a, a certain kind of setting, like literally this like the kinds of buildings like that i don't i don't understand that um i think i think that like and we probably covered some of this in our previous discussion hopefully i'm not going to rehash too much of what both of you guys already know that um the feeling that a lot of people have is well if this if this white lady can tell and be lauded so much for this this oh so important story and she's oh so progressive for telling this story about asian people well i'm an asian person i'm a i'm a creator why not me why do i not have opportunity why can i not tell a story like this why is it more important when she does it and that's even if that's not true it is a lot of times it's it's what i understood how they were feeling Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not that, so not, not that her. it's like, yeah. why is the industry in such a yeah. state that um, I'm but never I, in the right place at the right time to tell us. Right. Uh, but, but I think that, and we might've even covered this too. I can't remember. I've, I've listened to that conversation probably three times, but I don't remember if we covered this or not, but I, I do just sort of think that that's the, the natural path that media takes that, you know, you, you start out with, things presented as if it is a monoculture and then all of a sudden you start seeing like the artists and people going outside their own comfort zones or going and meeting other people and telling stories about those people and it at first it maybe it's exploitive and then maybe it's more equal and then eventually the theory is this would open up more opportunity for everyone because more people are just more comfortable seeing like you know here's the indian guy that just isn't like the weird accent and a stereotype here's a book of all asian characters and that's normal and you can present it to kids and adults you know it's 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 not like you know in the 60s you show a black man on television and white people lost their damn minds and set their set their house on fire yeah and she's not making a story about like this is a story about Asian yeah. suffering or the Asian experience, and I'm going to tell it, and I'm a white lady. You know, it's yeah. it's not like she's doing that. It's just yeah. that there are, there's Asian architecture and Asian faces in her story, um, and uh, she's not trying to tell a story that um, you have to have an intimate understanding of that lived experience to tell this story in this setting. It's it's not focusing on that or really appropriating that. Um, but you know, we've, we've, we had lengthy discussion about that last time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I was, I didn't, I, I was going to like, well, we should probably mention it, but I don't think it's, uh, 
if you want to, no, if you want to listen, just, if you want to listen to a lot of talk about cultural appropriation and how all three of us are probably the whole thing, right? Prob- now. Probably out of our depth is go listen to that old episode. Uh, it's still there. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been talking on like in the writing communities on Twitter, like we talk a lot about like own voices, kind of things. Like, do we do we um, want to we want to tell a story of this? from the perspective of someone who has lived that and at what point are you deviating from your own experience uh, enough that it isn't your own voice like are you telling am i telling a story that is it's intersectional with another identity that is not mine to the point that i'm not telling that story you know like i mean if i'm i'm an asexual woman but if i tried to tell an asexual man's story that intersection would make the experience of being an asexual person very different and so I'm not able to separate those two things, um, being a woman and being an asexual person. I can't really, I can't separate those two things uh, in a meaningful way because you can't say how much of my life has been because I'm a woman or because I'm asexual, you know? So um, anyway, um, in in writing communities, you know, we've been talking about in to, to what extent should you try to be inclusive, try to write from perspectives or include characters that are not your own background. And, you know, going back to this book, um, there was like a little nod. I'm sure you guys noticed it during the thing where they're hanging out with, the, with her, uh, with Rat's friends. Yeah. Uh, there was a you mm-hmm. know, music, they're playing the music, which was a cool visual effect, by the way. They had the, the music notes kind of flying around and mm-hmm. getting smoother as getting back into his group. That was really cool. But like, they made a little nod to one of the guys having a crush on somebody's brother. And it was, it was very sort of nonchalant. Um, but like, that was just kind of like, oh, we're rep. There it is. Um, and you know, is it, is that kind of like, hey, does this book want to jump up and down and say like, hey, I have a mention of queer representation that does not have a big effect on the overall story. It's just natural. It's just there. That's where we'd like to see more incidental mentions of just, you know, regular everyday, you know, kid having a crush on a kid. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard thing. Like you want to, it, it you don't want to pander. Mm-hmm. No artist wants to like. Well, okay, I'm not gonna say no artist wants to pander, but most good artists <laughs> don't want to pander. Like they just they, a lot of people want to honestly include. Like, hey, I know there are there are gay people in real life. There are people of color in real life. I want to include. Yeah. I want this this world I'm creating to be real. Not necessarily go like I don't nec- I don't need applause for including a queer character, uh, even if it's a, even a very small uh, mention. But I I just want to kind of represent a, a a real place, and I feel like I think that it it's it I think it still stands out to us because it is still a thing that is not common. It is it's mm-hmm. becoming more common that inclusion of like hey here is a queer character we're trying to make this as subtle as possible. And, you know, I think it stands out very boldly to us because we still are going, we still are not used to it because it is not a thing that happened in popular fiction for most of time. It doesn't like, unless you are, unless you're engrossed in queer, queer fiction or, or any kind of, you know, subcultural niche, you're not going to see that representation. Uh, but like, I think that we are getting there's it's more and more common and like this is a, it is a young adult book it is for you know it is if there is a target audience it is you know preteen teenage uh kids uh and 
like seeing that kind of thing included in fiction like this, I think is just another part of like it slowly, slowly becoming more and more common and younger and younger people who have grown more, grown up with it as it not being a weird thing, just being another thing. They probably wouldn't, it yep. probably won't be a big as deal as it, like it doesn't, like when I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay. I like, you know, it is one of those things that did break immersion because I immediately go, oh, that's what she, like, I like it, but I know immediately, like, I see that, I see purposeful inclusion of a queer character. So it it probably wouldn't stand out to me if I had been reading things like this that did that for a decade. I'd probably just go, eh, move on. But we're, this is yeah. a comic book podcast. It is not a, we've exclaimed multiple times how things have changed in the past couple of years. And the, that becoming more commonplace is one of those things. It's, uh, it's, it's also very nice speaking on the same uh, sort of wavelength of the about queer characters and stuff. It's also nice that they're kind of avoiding the tropey crap where they push a male and a female main character together romantically. There's no threads of that at all. And I really appreciate that as someone yeah. who's very tired of romantic tropes uh, being sort of a shortcut to developing emotional depth. It's very nice to see them developing something that looks entirely like a friendship and is not treated as if it's lesser because of that. Yeah, I agree. I it, forced romance is uh, it like I am totally cool with male female characters being romantic and having relationships, but when it is totally tangential to the story, why, like I don't like if it's going to if you're going to tell a story about a romance and a relationship, make that the important thing. This this the important part of this book is the politics and social stat social like uh the status of society and of the culture of the city and all these different conflicts arising because of its history and the history of violence in in these cultures and how they've in the history of power like and those that's what this book is about and what makes it so good and so interesting is that it doesn't try and like cram in like hey these people are also in love no they're just they're friends they're just trying to get through this thing yeah and and uh what's I keep forgetting his name and then remembering a second later, Kai has no models of that in his life either. He has not had his parents modeling a loving relationship. He said so in this book. So um, it probably doesn't even occur to him that like culturally in maybe a more peaceful time, he probably would have been pushed toward viewing all important relationships with women as potential romantic conquests if he was straight. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you look at all the other models of this culture, it seems like that is... I mean, like there, we we see it as itself an arranged marriage. So, like, I yep. it is clearly like I, I don't you know I can't speak that you don't really see any kind of real. Uh, I, I'm, I can't remember if there's any actually like even like kind of talk amongst male characters about any female characters in the first book. Like, I you don't really I don't see I don't know if there is any kind of mention of how they're I don't know how relationships work in the Dao That's culture. True. So who knows? But That's it true. seems. Tip, stereotypically, you know, cultures that promote militaristic behavior and fighting, trained for fighting early on. And, you know, I think it speaks to that. Maybe to the less tropey things about the story is that there's nothing there. Like, it's just like, hey, you can view it as how you want. But there's like, it's this book is concise. It's telling the story it wants to tell. It is not like, hey, you need to know everything about these cultures. And how, like, this is how relationships work. It's just very much like, hey, this is weird. It's concise and, 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 concerns itself only with the vital things and i think there's the, like why i have almost zero criticism about about this book in particular is like it is just like meat it is there's no there's no fat there's no filler it is 
all of substance. Yeah. She's such an underrated creator, though. <laughs> oh, I think I think it's just like, oh, well, she's not Raina Telgemeier, so she's underrated. I'm like, well, no one else. No. If there was if there was an eleventh on that list, they probably would have put Raina Telgemeier on there. Yeah, sells millions of millions of books. She's underrated. Yeah. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on? We haven't discussed. I think I'm out. I'm I'm pretty tapped out. What you said, Ivy? I think I covered most of my bases. All right. Cool. Yeah. It's a great book. You it, re, go like I'm I'm already awaiting the third book. It's probably going to be out in a year from now, but yeah. I'm I'm ready for it. Does it say somewhere there's a little sort of preview to be continued in The Divided Earth book 3? Yep. But I don't know if it says coming coming in coming sometime. <laughs> It'll take her a long time to finish it. She's got a real tiling problem on her hands. Just, I was gonna say, like, I was, I was curious if they were gonna leave the city because it seems like uh, such a uh, <laughs> important. It's like uh, the 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 top ten um, that that uh, Gene Ha started writing, mm-hmm. or whoever it was, the artist of that. He actually started writing and drawing it. And he made all the characters wear uniforms because he was sick of drawing their uniforms. Right. wasn't the, wasn't the best story. Um, yeah, but I mean, she's she's currently like she posts pages all the time. So hard at work for the third book. Um, Ivy, do you want people? Oh. To, you want people to check out stuff? You want people to go to websites or or listen or watch you or read your comic or those things? Um, yeah, I can promote myself. Like yeah, self-promotion. Be a little stage here. Um, let's see. Well, I'm Swank Ivy on YouTube, and that's probably where you're going to find most of my interesting stuff. Um, so I make videos about asexuality and sometimes about writing. Um, my second channel is called Julie Sandra, and that's where I talk about, like, I'll give you information about, um, you know, uh, writing tutorials and publishing and stuff. Um, this happens to be behind me. This is my book, The Invisible Orientation. So you can buy that if you're interested in asexuality at all. But that's um, another topic. And um, I got a couple web comics that you should be able to find access to if you go to swankivy.com, which is my main site, my main hub of most stuff. Um, I am a nerd on Twitter occasionally. Um, so I have the two. Uh, Twitter accounts as well, Swank Ivy and Julie Sandra, and uh, I do some web comics there, Fantasy Weekly, and a uh, writer comic every month. So um, other than that, um, yeah, I guess I don't really have too much else to say besides uh, I'm on Tumblr too, Swank Ivy on Tumblr. So I'm kind of everywhere. You were not exaggerating earlier when you said I'm from the interwebs, um, and uh, occasionally you might see me play a ukulele somewhere. I don't know. Aside from the, all those places, you're, you don't do much. Aside uh, from, I do a lot, yeah. yeah aside from the, <laughs> the webcomics and the writing and the YouTube and uh, playing ukulele. Singing and drawing and being a nerd. Constantly lauding Steven Universe. Sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that couldn't be more, couldn't be more appropriate. It. <laughs> it's all like on, as, off, as if on cue. Yes. She's, yeah. There's there's more Comics Steven Universe stuff behind her. There yeah, is. They're, they're all there. Yeah. I was yeah. Gonna, like yeah, it's it's there's no shortage. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, if y'all uh, like comics, you should read those comics. The Steven Universe comics, like as starting 2017, have been really excellent. We read, we read one of them. We read you one. Read of them. one, and you didn't tell me. Oh my goodness. We read. <laughs> I think we read number one. We read number one. We'll read number two. Good was God. It, what was the? We read the one where Steven named a bird Susan. Yes. <laughs> Is that that what? Okay. See there, Eric was down on it. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it. I thought it got a lot of things right, but it just was like. I think we cor- correctly pegged it as like if you are a fan of Steven Universe, you will really you'll yeah. like this comic book. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. But with that, uh, thank you, Ivy, for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be back uh, talking about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so thank you, thanks again to Ivy for joining us in that discussion. It was great. Always good. Uh, it's a great comic. It's a yeah. Great, that's a really good comic book. Uh, we, uh, in two weeks time, we will be discussing Lost at Sea by Brian Lee O'Malley, his first big thing. We're, we're just gonna, I mean, might as well just read everything. Brian Lee O'Malley makes sense. We've loved I, ev- I, everything he's ever written. So there you go. It is, it is kind of interesting that I think, I would compare him directly to Faith Aaron Hicks, that they're just like, yeah, I did another thing and it's great. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, there's a new 10th anniversary edition from Oni Press of Lost at Sea out. So, uh, read along with us. You can let's see. What was I going to say? Oh, that'll do it for today. And you can find us on the internet in many places. com. Everything is there. Links to our Facebook, facebook.com slash Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Twitter at HBC Hour. You can email us at handsomeboyscomics at gmail.com. Uh, also, of course, if you like the show, if you're a fan, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's not on iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts. Got an email. Oh, Apple Podcasts. Got an email saying I have to call it Apple Podcast, even though it's exactly the same thing and goes the exact the same. Why would they they'd email you to, to what? Here's a way to make a proper call to action with Apple Podcasts. That's that's. I got really an email. Odd. Got an email about it. Uh, yeah. Go go to that, please, and give us a nice review. We'd really appreciate it. It just takes a few moments. It really helps new people find the show. Obviously, word of mouth. And if you have another, use another podcast service, then I'm sure whatever service, whatever way you give us reviews, you know, same thing applies. We appreciate it. We really do. Um, you can find me online at Mixmaster Serial on Twitter. It's M-I-X-M-A-S-T-E-R-C-E-R-E-A-L. Eric, where can they find you and your things online? Well, you can go to freewillunlimited.com to see my portfolio. You can also go to uh, ericzgoodnight.com. Uh, where you can see most of the things I get up to online, including my Instagram and my Twitter, where I'm known as Easy Goodnight. Well, that, folks, we'll call today. Have a good one. Rock and roll. Mm-hmm.